now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. See, a United States Astro Robot becomes a creature of death. And these. We have come here to this planet for one purpose only, to acquire breeding stuff to repopulate our planet. Bugs and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. From classical to the cheese in between, the movies are B, but the entertainment is great A. And I am your host, Mr. Jason Giaconetti. And this time I'm joined, not by my dad, but by my brother, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. Hey, Jay, how's it going? All right, folks. Set your way back machine to 1987 and the streets of old Detroit, because we are taking a look at one of the seminal science fiction films of that decade. We are taking a look at RoboCop. And we'll get to it right after this. We get the best of both worlds. The fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer onboard computer-assisted memory and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming. It is my great pleasure to present to you... Robocop. Good. He's not a guy, he's a machine. Old Detroit has a cancer. Cancer is crime. Let the woman go, you are under arrest. You, you better back up, pal! Your move, creep. What are your prime directives? You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. What is this shit? Anything you say may be used against you. He's a cyborg, you idiot. You recorded every word you said. You're dead. We killed you. His memory is admissible as evidence. You're going to have to kill it. For God's sake! Robocop, the future of law enforcement. Robocop was released July 17, 1987, with a 102 minute running time. Your director here is none other than Mr. Paul Verhoeven. 
Uh, now, Mr. Paul Verhoeven, some of you uh, will know from, oh, I don't know, little movies, maybe like, I don't know, Showgirls and Starship, Starship Troopers, Troopers and stuff like that. Um, you know, he's, he's you know, also the hollow man and like basic instinct and stuff like that. He is very famous for um, um, not just over-the-top kind of movies, but also international movies, French movies, and like that. But in this country, we know Paul Verhoeven for doing, like, if, if this, you want to push a boundary, Yes, this is a man who will push your boundary. That's what I was going to say. Known more for controversy than anything else in this country, I think, for his depictions of, of violence and, and sex and, and other things in, in some of the films that he's done. Um, Robocop, very notorious when it came out. This would... This reputation would be superseded by some of the things he would do down the line. Sure, of course, but um, you know, Paul Verhoeven is, of course, uh, a legend, a legend um, in the in the uh, as a director and, and in the film industry. Uh, your story uh, is uh, is Edward Numair. Now, Edward Numair um, actually started. Uh, he's known for um, his treatment of obviously his RoboCop, he wrote RoboCop, yep. and um, his adaption of Starship Troopers, yes, uh, which is also there too. Uh, and it was, the thing was RoboCop, he, um, when it went to, when, the idea of the idea Numair had for RoboCop was when he was working on the set of Blade Runner, actually in 1982, yep. and he started developing the idea further with uh, a writing partner, Mike Miner. Now, Mike Miner is not uh, doesn't have a ton of credits to his name, but he was uh, working with uh, Numair, and they kind of started fleshing this out. So this is we're talking 1982 on Blade Runner when they started fleshing this out. The script is actually um, purchased in early '85. Um, uh, by John Davidson on behalf of Orion Pictures. And we'll talk more about that as we go. Mm -hmm. The idea, though, is that this concept had already kind of started working its way. And let's be honest, Blade Runner is one of the most influential kind of yeah. science fiction movies of its time as well. Mm -hmm. And what a place to be inspired while, you know, working with, you know, Mr. Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford and, you know, all the like, you know, and Rucker Howard and guys yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. Your producer is uh, Arn Schmidt. Um, and, of course, you know, we know it's, it's Orion Pictures. Uh, your, you know, your uh, production company of Orion uh, was, Orion was making movies that like other people kind of didn't want to touch. Yes. I think that's a fair way to say it. Orion was, they, they, they what we might call a mid-major now. Yes. They were, they, they did, they did big releases, but they were things that were kind of offbeat. They weren't the things that you might necessarily find at this point in the 80s at 20th Century Fox or Warner Brothers they, but they, and, and this became kind of a signature movie for Orion for, for a while mm -hmm. because, as we'll talk about, the success of this film, uh, but also, again, just the popularity of it. Yeah. Uh, your stars here are, of course, Mr. Peter Weller is, uh, he's, he's going to play Murphy. Uh, Peter Weller is uh, well known, uh, you know, TV and, uh, you know, tell, I mean, I'm not just a TV actor, he was an actor. Um, he's been on the, um, you know, stage actor, he's a director, he's, yep. you know, basically an art historian. Um, you know, uh, obviously the adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai yeah, across the 8th century. 8th dimension. That, that's, eighth kind dimension of the big, that's kind of the big one, I think, for fans of Robocop, was a, that is Buckaroo Bonsai. Uh, but prior to this, he had been, one of his earliest film credits was in uh, Butch and Sundance, the early years. Yes. And, uh, you know, what, uh, had a big turn. It was international, but a film of unknown origin. Yeah. It was a big film for Peter Weller before this. Uh, I think it's... it's um, it's funny because this was the first thing I ever remember seeing Peter Weller in, and he'll always be Murphy, no matter yes, what else. Yeah. 
you know, whether you're talking about down the road Leviathan or Naked Lunch or Screamers or any of those other type of in either genre or non-genre films he did, he's always Murphy to me. Yeah. Um, and if he uh, received an Academy Award nomination um, in 1993 for the short Partners, um, it's, again, he's he's all over the place. Peter, Peter Weller is Peter Weller. Um, and then, of course, your second star, I mean, by way of name recognition, is Nancy Allen. Yeah. Uh, Nancy Allen, of course, a very famous, um, you know, actress, uh, became prominent in several films, uh, Brian, in several Brian De Palma films, actually. Yeah, I was going to say that I, a lot of people first introduced to her uh, in Carrie. She yep. is... Uh, she is Chris. She's the mean girl in Carrie. Mm-hmm. Then she gets hers in that film for sure. Yeah. Uh, but then she was in uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand with mm-hmm. Robert, from Robert Zemeckis. She was uh, she had a small part in 1941. Sure. Uh, which was Steven Spielberg, and then you say like, De Palma. So it's all these all these uh, you know uh, Southern California film school guys, right? Yeah. Uh, you know she was in Dress to Kill. She was in Blowout, uh, the Philadelphia Experiment, and you know um, Nancy Young just such a recognizable actress. You yeah, know, yeah. she she has such a uh, she she's got such a unique like the look of her eyes, especially very unique, so very memorable performance mm-hmm. from Nancy Allen. And of late, of uh, Nancy Allen, who's kind of stepped away from acting um, within the last decade or so, um, has really become involved with can- uh, support uh, for finding you know cancer research and stuff. Yes. After her, one of her best friends, uh, Wendy Jo Sp- uh, Spieber, actually passed away from breast cancer, um, and it's, she's very very outspoken and very much trying to make sure that the uh, you know. I mean, none of us want cancer to keep going. Obviously, yeah. and since the activist. So, Wendy Joe Sperber, I'll just add. Uh, most people listening to this show off of Two True Freaks would know her as the sister in Back to the Future. Yes. Um, so uh, there are some other people here that you know, now we're getting. So that, you know, Peter Weller is obviously RoboCop, and yeah. you know Nancy uh, Nancy Allen. You know is uh, playing Lewis, who is his partner. We'll get into that. Um, now we get to the people who kind of are the. Uh, um, these are the, the, the these are what you get to the character actors yes. they're still all very good actors but they're like oh my god that guy oh my god that guy you yes. know we've indeed entered the character actor portion yes. of the show yeah right and these they, they got some good ones now Dick Smith is not uh, not Dick Smith um, Dick Miller is not here no um, but they are sick of some great ones Daniel um, oh, uh, oh I messed his name up oh Hillary Right, um, he's the old man, Daniel. You know, uh, Hillary, quote unquote, the old man. Yep. Uh, you will know him from. Uh, I mean, he was he had an Oscar nomination in uh, Robinson Crusoe in '54. He was in Failsafe. He's in Waterloo. But let's be honest, most of us know him from Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, yep. where he plays Connell Cochran. Connell Cochran. Right? A good magician never reveals his tricks. Yep. Later would appear, of course, in the television series Twin Peaks. Yep. Um, he's known as the old man here in RoboCop, and he is in The Last Starfighter. I was going to say, The Last Starfighter, the other one probably popular with uh, listeners to this show. Yeah. Just, but, I mean, uh, lots and lots of credits dating all the way back to 1947. All the way through 1998, so a 40-plus year career acting for for Daniel Hillary here. Just really, really impressive resume. Yeah. Next up is uh, is Ronnie Cox. Now, uh, for those of you who listened to the darkroom episode, Ronnie Cox is the the, the episode um, of the siege of October, the uh, siege of August. You know that, that that very famous episode there. Ronnie Cox, of course, um, you know, go all the way back to Deliverance in in, in you know in in 72. 
Um, he's in Beverly Hills Cop. He's in Beverly Hills Cop 2. He's in Total Recall. Like, he's even the president in Captain America, the 1990 yes. version. Yes, he is. Uh, Ronnie Cox, a great, great actor um, who, you know, is, again, a character actor, but a great actor nonetheless that we have, you know, kind of gotten to know over the years. Uh, two things I want to point out. Uh, this is... Um, uh, and one of the TV roles that he played was uh, has kind of gotten new life in the form of a meme lately. He plays Captain Edward Jellicoe on yes. two episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. So when you see the Jellicoe meme, that is that is Ronnie Cox there playing Jellicoe. Uh, the other thing I did want to mention is that he is in a pretty good little uh, thriller movie, 1970, called Grey Lady Down, which is about a sunken submarine and the mm-hmm. efforts to rescue that. So I, that was one I, I, had, I had checked out because I had seen it listed on a list of disaster movies. Not really a disaster movie, but a little little obscure little thriller worth checking out if you get a chance. Yeah. Our next star here, um, actually, if for those of you who have, who have never seen this movie and go back, he might be the one you might notice first. Um, and that's Mr. Kurtwood Smith. Oh, Kurtwood Smith. Okay, Kurtwood Smith. To me, Kurtwood Smith is always going to be Clarence Boddicker. He yes. will always be Clarence Boddicker no matter what. Um, of course, um, he was in Rambo 3, and, you know, he showed up in other TV series. He's, you know, he's voiced pretty on, on the regular show and whatever. But let's be honest. We all know him as Red Foreman <laughs> from that 70s show. It's that 70s show which ran, what? I mean, it ran eight years, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. It was on forever. You know, uh, you know he's... He's known for calling people a dumbass, you know, kind of thing. And that's the whole thing with Red um, is that he became so famous from that 70s show yep. that he is now not just a meme. He's like a gif. He's a every, He's like that's a regular thing. People who have never seen that 70s show yeah. know Red Foreman. No Red Foreman. To me, he's always going to be uh, Clarence Boddicker yeah. because that's the first time I ever saw him in anything that I remember. See, that, that always kind of weirded me out about that 70s show. I was always yeah. really concerned for the kids on that show because yeah. I was afraid that the dad was just going to snap one day and just, just like... Just kill him. Yeah, yeah, just kill him, throw him out of a moving truck, something yeah. like that, yeah. you, you know? know? Yeah, um, and of course, the last one I want to mention is um, the late great Miguel Freire. Uh, Miguel Freire is—he um, was such a great actor in different roles. Yes, he could play a scummy guy. He could play a—you know—he uh, was really good at playing like a business guy in the '80s because he kind of had that look. But then he later went on to be really good as like a government guy. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, uh, you know he's—he was in Hot Shots Part Deux. Uh, you know, kind of thing. He's in the, in the movie Traffic. He was, uh, yeah. of course, Vice President Rodriguez in Iron Man 3. Yep. Um, on Twin Peaks, right? Um, you know, kind of thing. He was on he was on Crossing Jordan for years. He was on NCIS, NCIS LA, or excuse me, NCIS Los Angeles. And, you know, the one thing about um, uh, when he played Owen Granger on uh, LA, mm-hmm. he, it was, he was so good at what he was doing because you're like, but he was never, he, he you know, it's the interplay on that show. And again, I don't know how many people actually watch it. My wife loves NCIS LA. But when I would watch those episodes, I'm like, man, he's always so good. Yep. Like, you know, it's he may not have been the main focus, but he's, oh, his role is always so good when he does. Yeah. Two, one, a couple of things I want to mention about Miguel Ferrer. First off, to continue the Star Trek connection, he was in Star Trek Three. He was uh, Search for Spock. Kurtwood Smith was also has a, uh, at least uh, was in Star Trek Six. I think also a lot of Star Trek yeah. uh, in this movie. Um, of interest uh, to comic book fans in the excellent Justice League: The New Frontier animated movie, 
he plays the Martian Manhunter. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you've ever read New Frontier or seen that film, you know the Martian Manhunter plays a very big role in that. Yep. So very good performance in an, in an animated film. And, um, you know, the, the, this is the interesting thing. So we had uh, Peter Weller, who, of course, was in Leviathan. Miguel Ferrer was in Deep Star Six. Yes, that's what I was, was going to mention. <laughs> Both of those movies we've covered previously, and Dad and I, uh, I mean, I've always, I always loved Leviathan growing up, but Deep Star Six was the one we never saw much. But as we talked about both in the, both those movies, what a rediscovery. Like, what, like what, it was great to finally get them. And especially since we all know the movie that everyone talked about that year was The Abyss. The Abyss. Um, and I find that to be the third of the three. Right. Yeah. You know, but that's, but that's, you know, nothing to do with... Uh, that's personal taste. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're, you know, you're going to argue that this is arguably one of the greatest I, special I, effects movies. You the, know, the difference also, and this, I promise, this is not a tangent. The for at least in the context of this show, Deep Star Six B movie, Leviathan B movie, The Abyss. Nah, yeah, a that's, movie. Not, that's an A that's movie. That's an A movie. So an there's a, movie. A, it's a different set of circumstances around that. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. So um, as we mentioned, uh, you know, production company Orion uh, Pictures. Um, also, the distribution was Orion Pictures. Um, your your budget is about thirteen point seven million, with a box office of about fifty three point four million. Yeah. So this movie, the budget kept kind of getting smaller and smaller, um, but the effects team, and I'll mention them actually in a minute, uh, were like, "Well, we need to do what we need to do," and they just did what they had to do, and what they put on the screen still to this day is arguably some of the best special effects work. Period. I'm just saying it's just outstanding because you don't even realize you're watching special oh, effects. Yeah. Yep. Um, and that's that's half the battle. Now, of course, when we're talking special effects for this movie, there is just Mr. Rob Bottin. Yeah. Um, the, yes, Rob Bottin from The Thing, Rob Bottin from Howling. Like that, Rob Bottin's special effects crew here was a who's who of you know your special effects designers. Um, the key is here. The, the whole team was read, led by Bo Team. That team also included Phil Tippett. Yep. Yes, that Phil Tippett. Stefan Dupuis, Bart Mixon, Craig Danvers, and many, many others. But, like, it literally was an all-star team they had he put together here. Because he said, I need guys to do things. And some of you might think, like, okay, well, who did what? They re, they, well, we'll talk about some of the things as we go through. But the RoboCop suit itself is all Bo Team. And they kept cutting things and cutting things and cutting things from him. And he was trying to find characters that were in stiff costume but still made movement possible. You might notice there are some designs in RoboCop that go back to Metropolis, mm -hmm. that go back to the day the Earth stood still, right? And the RoboCop suit, he always felt never quite got to – he never quite refined it enough. He found that in RoboCop 2 it was much better refined. Yeah. But the RoboCop look – the, the whole idea of RoboCop and all that, Rob Bottin had a vision and he, he executed that vision. He always felt it was better in two. He was able to have more money and things yeah, like that. More money and time on, in two, yeah. for sure. Um, but everything, including down to how, why the gun looks the way it does. Everything had a purpose and um, more than just to say that, it had uh, meaning and, and, and reason and it yeah. made sense when you looked at RoboCop. And yeah, RoboCop, um, not always. I will say this: that this criticism has kind of fallen by the wayside. But there was a time when RoboCop was almost considered like geek show, yeah, right. And that's not accurate. 
You know, because to me, Geek Show is, oh man, it's, it's, it's self-indulgent, right? It, it's the effects crew showing how they can do something crazy. Not necessarily in service of the story, but them really just kind of showing out, right? Here, the effects are, that they, they, they push the envelope, you know? They really do, but they all are in service of the story. You know, and, and even the, and we'll talk about this, the degree to which they go is yeah. in service of the story. It's not where the effects guys do it because they think it's cool type of yeah. thing. Yeah. This, is, this is a very, in a way, despite the fact, some of the, the way that this film was made, it's very calculated in this way, the way that these are done. They are done in a very specific manner to evoke a certain emotional response. And yes. they do an excellent job of that. So, and then of course, the other most famous thing from this movie is Ed 209. 209. And for a while, Ed 209 might have been more famous than Robocop himself. Just because when you first see Ed 209, you're like, what are we looking at? Yes. And once you know who the, uh, who's on Rob Bottin's effects team, you know exactly who designed yeah. Ed 209. And that is Mr. Phil Tippett. Absolutely. Um, Ed 209 is one of these most beloved, uh, I don't know, robots maybe of the 80s yeah. or whatever. Because it's just like, it's... It's the absurdity of Ed 209. Yes. But it's like, this is so cool. Yeah, well, you know, if, and, and this points to larger themes in the film. Ed 209 is, it's the 1980s as, as one machine, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it, that's what it is. It's Reagan's America as, as a robot. It and it's, it, it works beautifully on so many levels. It really does. And the great part about Ed 209 is that since Phil Tippett is, you know, the one designing this, along with, again, not just by himself, but along with other people, um, you know, uh, who are doing the animation and stuff like that, um, that meant we were going to get stop motion slash go motion, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of thing, Phil Tippett's you know, way of doing this with miniatures in frame. Yeah, um, And I think that gives Ed 209 a different feel than it would have been a guy in a suit yeah. or I mean, and there is a giant one. They made a giant one. There's a giant full-size prop. But the thing is, or if you had a full-size prop or a marionette puppet or something along those lines, the go motion, stop motion kind of way of doing it works so beautifully. Mm -hmm. And it truly shows off, I think, what Phil was trying to, you know, what he was trying to evoke there. And again, it was not just him. It's other guys coming with ideas and, hey, what if we, you know, like... Just the little things that happen, like the way the guns move in and out to like yeah. load different things, like it's it's absolutely crazy. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the idea that the, those two, RoboCop, the actual design of the suit, and the Ed Two Hundred Nine, both of those went on to become so iconic. Oh yeah, they are beyond the scope of this movie. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. People know those designs who maybe have never seen RoboCop or RoboCop Two or whatever kind of thing. Um, in fact, well, RoboCop because there's Ed Two Hundred Nine only appears here. Um, you know, and then on the animated series, and two hundred nine. Like there's an Ed two hundred nine. There's a cameo one. in RoboCop two. He ain't there very long. No, and one RoboCop shows up, two shows up, and one shows up in three also. But it's not there very long. Not very long. Yeah. You know why? Because they're very expensive. Yes. So, um, <laughs> but so the special effects are. This movie is loaded to the gills with special effects. Yeah. Um, you know, some people have uh, talked about. You know, like. Well, what does this really mean? What is this? And, and we'll talk about some of the ways the yeah. special effects are used here to show meaning throughout the story. The issue you have to remember is Paul Verhoeven pushes the envelope. Yeah. And he pushes the envelope sometimes to the point where things that would seem – people found some things comical. They're like, oh, that's so silly. And it's like – but it's not. It's pushing the violence 
beyond the level of what we get pushing the gore, pushing the whatever it might be. Yep. He, there's a reason why people find his movie so controversial. He pushes and pushes and pushes. Yep. And because he pushes, it makes people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. He's very polarizing as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And RoboCop, along with, again, we're going to use the same two, RoboCop, along with Showgirls and Starship Troopers, are all polarizing for that same reason. Yep. Because he takes certain things beyond the pale, almost. And, and it's, but again, it's not done for Geek Show. It's not done for necessarily exploitative reasons. I think it's really done to... And we talk about this. It shows the absurdity, yes. the sheer absurdity. A lot of this is is commentary. RoboCop is the most on the Robo, Starship Troopers is even more on the nose oh than my RoboCop gosh. when it comes okay. to the commentary. So, so can but, I just say one second? Yes. For those of you who have never read Starship Troopers, the book, the Heinlein book, and you only know one in the movie, this they're not even the same thing. Yeah. Like they're very, very different. Yeah. Robert Heinlein has some some hot takes on oh he does service and citizenship and all those themes that end up. In the movie, yeah, but it's not exactly, exactly the, the same, same thing. <laughs> but having read the book after seeing the movie, go, whoa, are these? They they are close at some points, but yet they are miles apart at others. Yeah. I would, if, if you've never read uh, Starship Troopers, it's a great read. Um, it's going to push some of your buttons. You might get a little mad. Yeah. I'm just saying, it's a book. It's okay. A book can make you mad. Yeah. It make you think. So, but service does in fact service, guarantee citizenship. That's what I'm saying. Service doesn't guarantee <laughs> does guarantee uh, citizenship. Yeah, but so so especially here when it's in service of the overall story and the the, the narrative. It really drives all this, right? And that's the thing that why I think this film was as successful as it is. It looks amazing. The special effects are, are fantastic. The, the matte, the matte paintings in the back. Oh, of, like oh, Detroit. Detroit. It's yeah. amazing, but you don't even realize you're looking at paintings. No, the, everything is beautiful. Okay. But you know, all of that would be remembered by fans. Sure, there would not necessarily be a franchise of this if the story of this film is not as strong as it yeah. is. And what this film is actually about. The I hate the, I hate this term, I'm gonna use it. The aboutness of this film mm -hmm. is is beyond, you know, all this stuff. This is all stuff that builds that, but that that core of meaning is what makes this film so memorable and to, if I'm gonna speak frankly, very important to me in my development as a film fan. Yeah. Um so so let's let's get into the plot here because you know we got we, we're gonna talk about a lot of things as we go, but let's make it in here. So what so this is the one thing I can say about RoboCop. This movie is grounded 100% in 1987 yep. and 100% in a future world. Yes. And you say, that's impossible. It is not impossible. It yes. is 1987, but it's not 1987 that was existing. It's a disentopia, it kind of like, um, uh, you know, disentopia, yeah. um, kind of near future yeah, if, 1987 if, yeah, that we were yeah. never there. If you extrapolate the future. Yes. From Reagan's America in 1987. Yeah. This is what you get. But yet it's still technically, you know, 1987's-ish Detroit. Yes. Yeah. But it's not really there. No. Which is what I think some people had a hard time with at the beginning. They're like, wait, is this supposed to be the future? Then why in the future? Why aren't there ray guns? And why aren't there yeah. whatever? You know, it's like, but it's not the future. There's still the same stuff that's happening. So yes. uh, in the near dystopian Detroit uh, in, um, is on the brink of societal and financial collapse. Overwhelmed by crime and dwindling resources, the city grants the mega corporation Omni Consumer Products, OCP, control over the Detroit police force. I'll stop there for a yeah. second. 
the police and the thing about the police in this movie this is again it's a movie about cops yeah but it's right there in the title I mean yeah I mean but I'm saying is but like this movie is about the the, the regular everyday cops yeah. too and it's about how they're being treated and how they're underfunded and how they're all, and and it's this is 1987 you know talking about Detroit yeah like this is on the nose mm-hmm. so much. And it was stuff we would see, and I'm not, and I'm not picking on Detroit. It just happened to me. This is about Detroit. Yeah. This could have been Chicago. This could have been, you know, whatever. It could have been any number of places. Any, yeah. Any, any number of cities that had, at this point especially, really, the crime had gotten out of, out of, of hand. Out of hand. Out of that, hand. that was. This is. We we saw this a lot in the '80s. You know, you and Dad talked about this uh, when you did Maniac. Oh my God. Yeah. We're talking about the '70s and into the '80s. In your context, specifically New York, but this was true in any of the cities. Yeah. And and it was getting to the you know it was it was it was a tipping point, and you know it it eventually would lead to different policies and stuff in the '90s. That in some places this changed. Some places this hasn't changed. Yeah. Some places they are. You know, Detroit is a is a rough town. Not you know there's, there's no, nothing wrong with with Detroit or the city, city of Detroit or the state of, of Michigan, but a lot of bad stuff has gone down there that has led this city into a certain path yeah. that is still still climbing out of. You know, it's not it's you know the um, you know, one of my one of my personal favorite musicians of all time is Alice Cooper, and Alice talks about Detroit all the time. Growing up in Detroit and talking about you know watching the race riots happen, you know. So this is this is a place that has a lot of there's a lot of pent up aggression and anger. Justifiable yeah. in a lot of cases here, yeah. and but what this what this means is that now now they had people there that they're seeking an outlet, and the outlet is almost always destructive, and that's unfortunately the situation here, and that's why it's relatively easy to extrapolate this to this dystopian near future. Yeah. So uh, OCP is now taking over the cops. So OCP senior president Dick Jones, of course that's that's the that's Ronnie Cox. Yep. Um, he demonstrates the Ed two hundred nine, a law enforcement droid designed to supplant the police. The Ed 209 malfunction and brutally kills an executive, Yes, um, allowing um, the in- ambitious junior executive, Bob Morton, which is, of course, is Miguel Ferrer, yep. um, to introduce the old man, quote unquote, the chairman, right, his own project RoboCop. Right. That scene yep. in the boardroom mm-hmm. was one of the first scenes that they said, oh, no, we have to cut this. Yes. Now, and I'd say we, that meaning the MPAA. MPAA. The MPAA hated this movie because it is violent it is well done yeah. and that's the problem it's if it was just violent and just like Luke Luke says geek show yeah. it would okay but it's the violence that's occurring there the I mean they have they cut the scene basically at 209 how many shots he fires in him by almost half yes to get a theatrical release yeah when we now the, the version that's now available and it's pretty much I, don't, I can't imagine anyone has the cut version unless yeah. they have an old tape well, or something tape like or that something, yeah. um the Ed 209 just keeps going and going and going, and it's the excess of the bullets just hitting the body. Yeah. I mean, so so for a couple of things about the scene in the boardroom. First off, this amuses me now, and I never really got this as a kid. So Mr. Kenny yeah. is the guy who, the unfortunate volunteer yeah, to Dick yeah. Jones' Ed 209. Okay, Mr. Kenny, as a, junior exe- as a junior executive, he's the youngest guy in the room. Where is he sitting? All the way at the end of the table, yeah. as far away from the old man as possible. Yeah. The only thing that would have been, that, that, this I will say, now, the only thing that would have made this better, the table needed to be flipped around. If the yeah. table, because business etiquette, 
which yeah. was super important in the 80s. The youngest executive in the room, the youngest person in the room, yeah. sits as far away from the bosses as possible. And if you're the if it's if you've got clients or something and you're hosting, he sits by the door. Yeah. So that Mr. Kenny, go get that. Yeah, he is by the door though. No, but the, the way the room is flipped around yeah. because the window, he's by the window and not by the door. Because yeah, of the I way guess. Well, the well, well, he walked the Ed 209 yeah. in those doors. So yeah, the Ed 209, so. yeah. So, so that, again, just it's funny that the junior executive is sitting at the end of the table where he belongs. And then you talk about the Ed 209 shooting Kenny. And the scene when we, okay, so we saw this in the theater. Yeah, okay. No, no surprise. Okay, so let's just do this. Okay. We, like, we haven't talked about this yet. So uh, we've mentioned this with Predator. We, and if you've ever heard us talk about Predator stuff. So we went to see a, uh, a double, um, a sneak preview. And then yeah. those things I know don't exist anymore and whatever, but now they they used to and they were freaking awesome. Right. And you might say, how many sneak previews did you see? We saw a number of them. Yeah. Um, the ones that become memorable were like Harry and the Hendersons and we saw then Innerspace. Yes. Um, we saw Big, which was a huge hit at the time. And yeah. then we saw a little movie called Die Hard. Yeah, that Christmas movie. That Christmas movie that, Christmas movie that may, you may or not know. <laughs> but the best double... And, um, in all fairness, we went and saw Red Heat. Yes. With the Short Circuit 2. Yeah. Sneak preview. Of course. Because that's the two I would put together. Um, but the best sneak preview we ever saw. We went and saw Predator, the movie that I begged. I, I got to see this movie, yeah. Dad. I I don't think... Th I mean, I was a huge Schwarzenegger fan. I yes. still am. But we had to go see Predator. And we said, well, there's a movie playing with it. It's called Robocop. Yeah. That we knew nothing about. No, no nothing. So think about that. To me, Red Predator is in, is in my top two or three movies of all time, bar none, will always be there. It's just like Gladiator. It's yeah. like, what I mean, these are movies that I know inside out, every line, cry during, love. It's, it's awesome. Well, after watching Predator, mm -hmm. and you are amped. You're hyped up. You go run to the potty bathroom, you pee, you come back, and then RoboCop starts. Oh, my God. And at, this, at the ages of nine and seven, yeah. you know, kind of thing, we're just like, get cut off a predator. And yeah. it's like, that would have been the great night anyway. And then we get treated to literally a movie that is, to me, sci in the science fiction community especially, much more important than Predator. Right. I yeah. love Predator. Yes. Predator is a very important for the, like, the idea of the, 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 the special effects and the mandibles and the whole, everything that, that is Stan Winston and Predator yeah. and that stuff. But we just went from watching Stan Winston, Predator, to then Rob Bottin slash uh, Phil Tippett, yeah. Robocop. Like, that is a wet dream of every oh nerd, uh, special effects guy in the world. Yeah, like, there is a reason why the one sheet of Robocop was on my door for years. Yeah. Years and years. Yeah. So, but, it, so, when we see this the first time, yes. Ed 209 shoots Mr. Kenny. It's gruesome as all yeah. hell. Now you watch it in the director's cut, oh the gosh. extended cut, and now not only is Kenny blown back by the high-caliber yeah. machine guns that the Ed 209 has in its arms, it is now blown onto the model of Delta City, and yeah. then they continue to riddle the corpse with bullets, and yeah. it becomes... It's, it's one of those situations where you know you're not supposed to laugh, but you it's like, it's so... Your it's, brain can't even function. It's so absurd. It's like, he's clearly dead. Why is it still shooting him? Right. Because it's, you can it's, see his rib cage. Right. It's malfunctioning. Yeah. And that's what I think Verhoeven was trying to push there. Is that it's not that the violence there is comical. You're laughing like it's yeah. a Tom and Jerry cartoon. It's like, okay, okay, okay. But isn't that the idea? The machine is malfunctioning. It will not stop. It yeah. will just keep going. Which is 
exactly what you get here. Yeah. And what is it wrong? Don't touch him. Don't touch him. Get a paramedic. Don't touch him. Yeah. He's everywhere. Yeah. There's, there's, because Mr. Kenny, I mean, South Park, you hack. They killed Kenny. I yeah. mean, there's no question. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and of course they have to pull the, they have to pull the plug on the, the, the wires on him. Yeah. And then I do, but I, but as, as that is so memorable, a scene mm-hmm. with the Ed 209. The Ed 209, it looks incredible. It's got that great voice, yeah, which is deep, fed through deep, a deep rah, 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 voice, yeah. fed through a vocoder. It growls like a lion. Yeah. And it's like all of this comes together and you look at it, it's like that's what I'm saying. This is this is 1987 as a as a mecca, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. It's like everything about it's like it's it's big, it's nasty looking, it's tough, doesn't really work all that well. Though. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. So, um, and that's when we start. You know, you get a Bob Morton getting the ear of the old man. I love I love Bobby Morton coming yeah. in there, sidling up and immediately taking advantage. Yeah. And then when they're riding down the elevator, up oh, tough break about Kenny, huh? Hey, that's that's life at the big leagues, man. Yeah, they go. They're going down the elevator. They're one of their best friends just got riddled and killed. That's what we need to do to get Robocop off the ground from the big leagues. And that's what it is, you know, kind of thing. So. Um, now we transition back to the police station where we, we meet we uh, we meet Officer Alex Murphy, who was transferred in um, to Metro West, the Metro West Precinct. Murphy and his new partner Ann Lewis uh, propose. Okay, sorry, try it again. Sorry. So we meet Murphy, yep. um, and that's Peter Weller, of course. You know, yep. very young looking Peter Weller. And they go, "Where are you coming from?" He's going, "Coming from you know, Metro, Metro South. South." And he goes, "That's a nice little precinct." He goes, "Yeah." He goes, "All right." Get your gear on. Let's go. Yeah. Kind of thing, right? There's there's a little bit here that it's subtle, because and and Morton mentions this in the boardroom. They say, "How? What'd you do to get transferred down here?" He goes, "I don't know. I guess somebody likes me." Yeah. And then Morton says to the old man that we have, because the OCP controls the cops, they put in strategic candidates for the RoboCop. They made transfers to put them into precincts where the chances that they're going to be killed is higher. Yep. I mean that is, you know, there there's. It's in, in the yeah. business in the business world. What do we what do we say? We when we don't when we have people on a team or in a company, they're resources. Yeah, right. This is that the eighties is where that comes from. The idea of people aren't people; they're just another resource. Yeah, right. And that's all Murphy is to Morton. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he's now placed him in. He's been placed there because there's a great chance that he because he signed off on this program. And he could get killed. Yeah. So we just got to wait for someone to volunteer. That's what they always say. Someone has to volunteer, which right. means get killed. So Murphy is hooked up with uh, Officer Ann Lewis. That is, of course, Nancy uh, Allen, who, um, as they're bringing the guy, this, this uh, perp in, he assaults her and she beats the heck out of him. Yeah. And she's like, Murphy, stop screwing around over here. Lewis, Lewis, stop screwing around. Get over here, right? <laughs> she's like, yeah, what's up? And she's just no joke. Yeah. Um, you know, Murphy, of course, uh, is new. Uh, you know, to this precinct. So he gets, he, you know, gets his gear on, he's getting his gun and stuff. And this is where we first hear the talk of a strike. Yeah. But the police being able to strike as they're now the cop who was just killed who Murphy's taking his place. Yeah. They're cleaning out his locker. You know, uh, funeral uh, donations go to whoever and, you know, whatever. And, and it's like, as if it's nothing. And the, the chief is like, we can't strike. We're a public service. And they're like, yeah. we had a vote. You know, it's like, but it's like the police going on strike is such a crazy idea. But it makes sense in this world because what's happening? OCP runs the cops now. Yeah. It's not about the cops getting support. It's about them getting less support. Yeah. So um, that, it's, it's, um, I'm just, okay. it's Sergeant Reed. Yeah. Reed, Sergeant yeah, Reed, Sergeant, yeah. who is played actually by Robert DeQuee, who, uh, he's in coffee. Yeah. You know, that's what I know, really know him from besides this. Uh, but uh, Sergeant Reed is great because he's always yelling. 
Yeah. He's always yelling because you know his life sucks. Yes. He's the sergeant of this awful precinct yeah. where there's... I mean, the precinct is a disaster. Oh Every God, time yeah. you see it, yeah. there's, perp, there, there's, there's perps everywhere. Yeah. You know, yeah. they yeah. got the the, uh, the 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 charity woman's come begging him for, for change. He's like, not now. Go get a cup of coffee, you know. He's he's not, he's never had a good day. And he hears his, one of his cops saying that we should strike. You can see that as he's coming in to clean out the officer who was gunned down and died... The day before, yeah, how he is not—he's not ready. He's tired of that crap. He's yeah, no business, yeah. no mood for it. So Murphy and Lewis go out on uh, patrol, and they actually wind up picking up the pursuit for um, Clarence Boddicker and his gang. Now Clarence Boddicker's gang here—you um, know—we'll talk about them: Emil and Leon, uh, Nash and Joe Cox and Steve Min, and then of course there's Bobby, Bobby. who uh, Bobby, you burned up all the money, Bobby. You know, well, how to blow the safe? And it's like, and Emil, who's the driver. Right and and, and you gotta love a meal, yeah. You know, kind of thing. He's like, I ain't gonna outrun a cop in this thing. They're like, in a, what a bread truck, you know? They're in a, yeah, they're in a, bread, a box truck, in a box, box truck, truck. Yeah. right? So what happens is, you know, it's like, well, they're gonna let they open the back door to open fire, and now they're now that now it's a gunfight can occur. Yeah. So as the shots are exchanged, the shotguns are going off. Bobby's gets shot. Yep. And this is a very famous scene where he goes, "Can you fly, Bobby?" And they throw. Bobby, who's still alive, yep. into the cop Under windshield. The cop and and so um So hang on one second. Yep. 87, no CG, somebody got thrown out the back of moving truck into another truck. Yeah. Or through the car. Yeah. So, so yeah, so so Lewis is driving, Murphy has both the sidearms yes. and is firing out. And it's like, um here, here's the thing now. Again, I think about this stuff now that I'm older. This this is as bad how bad Detroit is. Their first thought is to get into a gunfight, not try to stop them. Yeah. They know that the that the criminals are better armed than they are. Yes. They know this yeah. inherently. Yeah. So their first thing is to start opening fire on them. Yeah. And then the uh, um, it's uh, I think it's uh, Leon and uh, Steve throw Joe out the back, throw Bobby out, out the back. back. Yeah. They they his own gang has abandoned. The cops do nothing. They Murphy throws him off and they keep on and he's laying dead in the dying in the street. Yeah, exactly. He's dying dead in the that, street. That's they what do that's anything. what Detroit is, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so now they're going to have the gunfight, and again, they wind up um, the, the 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 by dropping Bobby into them, it kind of makes them pull back and they're able to get away. Yes. So now uh, the gang members are off. You know, they're they're into whatever the it's an old it's an abandoned steel, steel mill. Yeah, that's what they're going. So, um, they're going to now be there and they think they've gotten away. And of course now Murphy keeps calling for backup. The backup's at least 15 minutes. He goes, where's that backup? We got no backup. At least another, he's like, and he's, so the windshield's gone. Yeah. So he just throws the micro out throws the windshield. The, he throws the speaker out of the windshield. And you know, you're, you're like, okay, so what's going to happen here? Like, you know, they're going to, so what, what does Lewis say? Your call, let's go. Yeah. And they pull their guns and they're going to go in after them. They're going in after known cop killers yeah. who are better armed than them. Yeah. But they're like, let's just do it. Like people have said, well, that's a stupid idea. I'd wait for backup. But like, this is not the Detroit yeah. we're talking about no, though. There ain't no backup. There ain't no backup. This is it. Either we failed and you know, some one guy died and they got away with the money or we're going to go gun these guys down. Yeah. I mean, they want to arrest them, but to be honest with you, you know, they're going to go to do their job and arrest them. Yeah. But, you know, in, in hindsight, maybe killing them might have been a better idea, but, yeah, you know, right. as we go, right? So uh, the gang winds up ambushing and, and torturing. Well, okay. So Lewis comes upon uh, a Joe, right? Yep. He, and, and then 
he's able to get the drop on her because he's, you know, urinating and yeah. then he turns and he knocks her off here and he leaves her. He, she's now falls off the, the whatever and she bangs her head and he leaves her for dead. Murphy gets to jump on them. Emil yeah. and then the other guy who we never get a name never on. Never get a name for him. Um, he goes, you know, he freeze and the guy goes for the shotgun and Murphy shoots him dead. Murphy shoots him down. And now he's got Emil point blank. And at this point, Part of you wants him to just shoot a meal. Yeah. Um, I mean, you don't because, you know, you're like, I know something cool is going to happen eventually. Yeah. But, like, if he had, if a meal had gone for his gun and he had shot a meal, now we're in a situation where he, now they put down two. Yeah. And Murphy calling for Lewis. Hey, where are you, Lewis? We need you here. We've got a situation. Where are you here? And now what's happening is you have, uh, you have, you know, now you have, uh, obviously, you know, me got the gun on a meal. You have Leon and Joe and Steve are still get the drop yeah. on him. And then... You know, and Boddicker and, and Clarence yeah, well, Boddicker. Yeah, Leon and Steve come around and put the shotguns on, and then Boddicker is there. Yeah. And so Clarence starts interrogating. He hits him with the shotgun. He goes, you must, you think you're a good cop? Yeah. Come in here alone. You must be a great cop. You must be some kind of super cop. Super cop. Right? So he hits him with the shotgun and says, where's your partner? And that's when Joe, and Joe is a, I mean, all of them are, all of them are nuts. Yeah. All of these guys are, they are criminally Certifiedly insane. Certifiedly insane. Joe yeah. is, a, is a complete sociopath because yeah. he is completely disassociated from everything and yeah. he laughs all the time. Yeah. Okay. Joe Cox, I mean, he's, he's not one of the main guys. I mean, he, he has some, you know, memorable lines, but uh, it's, it's Jesse, uh, Jesse Goins who plays uh, Joe, but he's, his, the way that he laughs about assaulting Lewis, it's, it's he's his, it's so creepy and weird, yeah. you know. And so they, uh, you know, now that they know that uh, he's got no backup coming, they yeah. decide they're going to have some fun with and they uh, torture him with Murphy. So this scene and is this scene drew a lot of controversy because um, you know Blair he's like so Clarence, Clarence is like and he blows his hand completely off. Yeah, blows his right hand and his hand right. I mean, I mean, it is obliterated. Yeah. on screen, it looks real. You couldn't do it any better today with any CG. Rob Bottin and his crew. This is what I'm talking about. Um, this scene is sometimes referred as the crucifixion of Murphy. Yeah. And that is, I think, where the controversy comes in in this scene. The, could they just shoot him once and be done with it? Sure. They don't. They pump him full of bullets. Yep. And he doesn't die. Mm -hmm. Like he's still not dead. Yep. How's he like that? There. How's he still alive? Hey, Clarence, get a load of this. This guy's still alive. Right. And then what happens? Bodega goes, you know, and just shoots him in the head. Yeah. But he's still not even really dead. And that's what the I think that's what Verhoeven was going for there. He he takes all the bullets. I mean. Peter Weller's is there, they're acting, and they're, they're swipping and pop, 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 pop. Yep. I mean, it's not pleasant. The scene is not enjoyable. No. It's not, it's not funny. It's not, it's just, okay, okay. And you're feeling horrible because he has done nothing wrong. And yep. here's Lewis trying to get to her feet, trying to get yep. there. And, and, and she winds up seeing him. She sees all of it. She all can do it. nothing she, about yeah, it. Yeah, because there's no way she's going to outgun them. She's going to get gunned down too. Yep. And they'll both be dead. Right. Um... And then when they finally put the bullet in his head, you're like, all right. And then they, they leave. And, you, and then what happens? Lewis is there. Murphy, I'm so sorry. And she's crying. She's, you know, she feels now she's now cost him his life. Yeah. And it's it's a very powerful scene in that you you feel for Murphy. Right. We've got to know Murphy a little bit. Yeah. We see him and Lewis uh, getting coffee. And he's spinning the gun, gun around. Right. It's like, well, you know, my kid likes that JT Laser show. And it's like... So normally, you know, you expect his old man to be able to do that. So you know he's got a wife and kids, you know, or wife and kid, I should say. 
So you and and you know it's his first, literally first day in yeah. this precinct, and yeah. runs afoul of the guy that we learned from the media break is yeah. the one that basically runs crime in old Detroit. Yeah. Uh, so it's it, it's just like I said, it's it's awful, and but it's again from a technical standpoint, it's so well oh, done. It's beautiful. It's, and and it's, and it's 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 special effects wise and technical wise, it is a beautiful yeah. scene. From a narrative story, it's heart wrenching. Oh yeah, and the thing that the thing that gets me so Murphy gets gets you know just decimated by Boddicker's gang. Okay, we then go from there to where he has been airlifted to the hospital, and they're trying to save him. Yeah. Okay, and we get this completely blank look on Peter Weller's eye. The one eye that bore eyes that we can see both his eyes. Yeah. But his, he's just staring off. There's nothing there as they're trying to save him. But now we're getting Murphy's memories. We're getting his mm-hmm. mind's eye POV of, you know, his son saying, can you do that, Dad? Talking about spinning the gun around. His, his wife coming up to him in his bedroom. Little snippets of memories, all that he has. Yeah. And while they're trying to save him, and they shock him with the defibrillator, yeah. and now what can he remember? He can we we are now in his POV as uh, Boddicker and Emil and everybody are shooting him with the shotguns. Yeah. Okay, so it puts you in that. Now you are forced to look through what Murphy just experienced. When you watch, now you are looking at it. You know, it's it's confrontational because again, it's making you feel more for Murphy. Right. And and now. What do you want? You want Murphy to be able to get revenge. Yeah. You know that he can't because he's, they pronounce him dead. Yeah. And it goes to black. But it doesn't quite go to black yet for Murphy, does it? Right. You know, so let's, let's, what, what happens next after Murphy is pronounced dead on the so table? So Morton has Murphy's corpse converted into Robocop. Mm. And these are the scenes where they're, this, these scenes scream 1987. Oh, yeah. Because they're like, let's put the L- LCD in. Bring the like, LCD in. Wah. You know, they, they, they're like drilling and it's weird. And it's like, well, it's broken. Ah, and it's like, but it's like, you just see, wake up and sleep, sleep, wake up, go yeah. to sleep. And it's like them building RoboCop. Yeah. So we don't see RoboCop getting built. No. We just see through his POV. Oh, he's, a, he's on. Yeah. Oh, he's awake. Oh, they say he's awake. He's awake. Like, yeah. Look, he's there. Oh, look, he's, hey, you know, it's a, hey, it's New Year's. Hey, it's yeah. whatever. And, you know. Yeah. But the, but you no, know, we, we see, we know they're doing something. Yeah. Right. Because first off, we're now seeing it through Murphy's POV again. Uh, we see that they've now implanted some sort of screen onto his face because now it's like a grid, and we yep. see little uh, heads-up display text. Yep. Uh, we see the the mechanical arm, arm. Yep. that comes in, uh, and because the doctor, I don't think she gets named in this, no, the, the chief scientist, she says we can save the arm, and Warren says no, it was total body conversion. Lose the arm. And he hears this. Yeah, and so he's experiencing all of this the same as we are. But, but he even says, he goes, he on, he hearing this? Well, we're, we're a blanket all anyway. Yeah. And we know they don't blanket everything right. because, you know, kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, so now they start, and again, Robocop, who's obviously a very powerful, heavily armed cyborg with no memory, quote unquote, of his former life, right? And then his prime directives, of course, are uh, serve the public trust, protect the innocent, and uphold the law. And then there's a fourth directive, which he says classified, classified, but we just, you know, okay. Yeah, so RoboCop gets brought, and they deploy him to Metro West. So a bunch of OCP trucks show up. They've got all the scientists and support staff and Bob Morton. Yeah. And they, they bring in RoboCop. Now, what I love about this, the first time we see RoboCop is when we're seeing him again, when he is fully activated and he's walking. We see him through his POV. The first time we see RoboCop is actually on a TV screen. Yep. So... 
it's this, we, we've gotten a couple of times the media break. The first thing in the movie is the media break. We get it a few times where, give us three minutes and we'll give you the world. And they take all these awful events happening and condense it down for your easy digestion. Oh, and don't forget the commercials too, because we've got to be able to sell something while we're okay. telling you about a Star Wars satellite destroying acres of California. Killing three former presidents yes. and whatever. It's like, this is what? Yeah. Up next, you yeah. know, it's like... So, so, so the first time we see him, it's on a TV screen. Yeah. So he's, he's, it's, it's optics. It's, this is something that's going to, that, that this is a project that's going to make us some money. Look how cool it looks. So we get glimpses of him when they bring him into the, to yeah. the precinct. And they go and take him down to, uh, they take him actually down to one of the holding, holding cells and they where they set him up. And then from there we go into the, uh, um, the shooting range. And so all of the cops are on the shooting range, including Lewis, yeah. right? And they've got their service uh, revolvers. Uh, revolvers and they're wearing their, their earring protection. And then you hear, brr, brr, yeah. Down the, the gun, end. the gun is amazing. Yes. And so everyone turns and looks and it's again, it's just... Just some, uh, you know, one line yeah. officer goes, come on, it's super cop. Yeah. <laughs> and the auto nine, which yeah. is the giant hand. It's, a, it's an automatic weapon. That's a handgun. Yeah, it's, it's a cannon, basically. You know? It seems to fire like somewhere between a six and nine round burst. Yeah. And it's almost like it's controllable. But that's not something you normally get in a handgun. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, and, and, and he's, so he's tearing it apart. And I go, all right, we got to get him on. He needs a, tr- he needs a car. So they just give him one of the cars, and he now he's going to go on patrol. Um, and the thing is, uh, now RoboCop. Yeah, that that first night of patrol. Yeah. This is now again. We all know it's Murphy. Yeah. No one else knows it's Murphy right. at this point. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. At this point, no one else except us, the audience. Yeah. Knows it's Murphy, and the people, other people that know, don't care. Like Bob Morton. Uh, so <laughs> he goes out, and what do we see? We see an older couple that runs a convenience store, uh-huh. and the guy comes in, grabs an Iron Man cast. I knew you would appreciate that. Well, I always like because Iron Man is the man in the metal suit, suit right? Yeah. So it's the Iron Man comic. Just like when we see his son, it's a Rom comic. Yeah. And Rom, again, is a, is, is a robot, but he's also alive. Right, yeah. That, you know, lasers people in Times Square, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the guy goes in and he has a submachine gun that he's holding up the convenience store. Yeah. And RoboCop is there. And the guy keeps shooting him and shooting him and shooting him. And all the bullets just keep ricocheting off of him yeah. until he bends the barrel of the gun and throws the guy into the, into into the, the cooler. cooler. Um, and, and then he looks and, you know, the couple that have now had their store is destroyed. But the but guy is guy is stopped. Thank you for your cooperation. Good night. And then walks out. And walks out. And then we see the girl being, he gets to, over the, with the scanner, the girl being attacked yeah. by, the, by the two punks. And they're, and they're going to assault her. And now this is, you know, RoboCop is, is, a, is a guy. He's a hero, right? But if there ever was a scene that RoboCop was a monster, yeah. it's right here when he gets out of the car and you just see his shadow cast yes. over them. It's, it's very like, much Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like, Frankenstein's shadow, yeah. you know, in, in the castle. Right. You know, you know we talk about in uh, Jason and the Argonauts that Talos turning his head is one of the great oh, oh snap moments oh, in cinematic history. This is one of them, too. It's like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Because these two punks who now have a, uh, you know, they have this poor woman and they're going to rape her. It becomes very clear. They're like, they're like, take money. We don't want your money. Yeah. And they are going to gang rape and probably murder this poor woman. Yeah. Under the billboard for Delta City. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 The the, the shining city that they're going to turn Detroit into. So Robocop, of course, uses the fact that he has a targeting computer. And this scene... This scene blew my friggin' mind the first time I saw it. And still, anytime I watch this movie with someone the first time, they are, if it's a dude, 
they're like, oh no! And if it's a woman, they're like, hell yeah! So, <laughs> so RoboCop, of course, so now one of the, the, the assailants has the woman and he's like, oh, he'll kill her, man, he's crazy, he'll kill her. So RoboCop targets and he's targeting like, he's targeting at her waist. And I'm like, what is he doing? And he shoots off a, like a blast right through her dress yep. and shoots the man directly in the groin. Yeah. And obliterates his groin. Yeah, and the, the, the cry he lets out. Yes. It's like, wah! Yeah. Like, and, and it's just, he stumbles out and his jeans are now just a giant red blur right in the middle. There, of it. In the middle and of you're the thinking to yourself going, oh. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. Because the thing is this. So far, I mean, it's been pushed, Ambo's been pushed. You just went there, Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. And that, but, but why? People are like, well, he didn't have to shoot him there. He could have shot him in the leg. Nope. He 100% shot him in the place him. that was the most shot effective place to shoot him. Shot him in the place that was doing the most, that was the most danger. Right. And the other guy, hey, man, we're cool. We're cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> just run <laughs> Like, yeah, we're cool. I don't need, don't shoot me in the groin. Yeah. Anything. And then the, the, this one, again, the, the woman runs up to him and, and is hugging him and thanking him. Ma'am, you have suffered a traumatic shock. I, uh, I will contact a rape crisis center. Yeah. And that's it. And it's like, so he is still, he's doing everything he's programmed to do. Yeah. Yeah. But that the idea of Robocop was that, oh, it's got a lifetime of human experience. Right. But he's still the machine. He's still yeah. the automaton right yeah. now. And then the last one, <laughs> it's a busy night in Detroit, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's a normal night right. in Detroit. A city councilman who has lost his reelection bid is now holding the mayor and the city council hostage at city hall. Yeah. And like, his list of demands is... Oh my God! <laughs> if, if, if this is a slow night in Detroit, I don't want to see a good one. The best he's like, I want a car. It was like got a bad gas. It's that, that's really good. The really fast and it's really really something gas mileage. I'm not. Yeah. I can't say the line. This yeah. is his demands. He goes, I want a recount, and if I lose that, I want another one, and even then, I want my old job back. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just like and the what? line that they say. The newscast says. Terrorism has never played a role in city politics until tonight. Yes. So <laughs> Robocop shows up there. Um, and he, what does he say? Keep him talking. Keep him talking. And he's like, what, what are you doing? And that's now, that, now the news coverage wants to talk to Robocop. Yeah. Don't look at this guy, right? So he goes inside and he's like, all right, like, the public wants to see and He's going to kill the mayor. Yeah. So what's Robocop going to do? Like punch through the wall. Yeah. And just punches the wall and then brings the guy right through the wall with him. And then, Defenestrates him straight yes. outside. And again, the camera crew following the city councilman all the way down until he hits the ground. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Let's not turn away. He hits the ground and boom. He's now, down. interesting correlation. Like you said, we saw this the same night we saw Predator. So Robocop goes to infrared. Yes. At this. So it's like oh, all infrared all the time, apparently, on this night in 1987. Uh, so a successful first night for Robocop, it yeah. would seem. And you of know. course, now the media is, is uh, touting him. Robocop, yeah. you know, whatever. Like, who yeah. is he? What is he? Where does he come from? Right, you know. Students and at Lee Iacocca Elementary School got <laughs> close and personal. Line. Of course, it's Lee Iacocca <laughs> Elementary School. The other, the other line I love is that um, they talk to, on the media break, when they're doing Lee Iacocca Elementary School, they talk to Bob Morton. And he says that it is all part of OCP's crime management program. Not police, not policing, not law enforcement, crime management. That is, I love the corporate doublespeak on that. Policing sounds too aggressive. We need to be crime managers. See, the problem is this. When you watch this movie and you're, when you're younger, you think, well, Bob Morton's the good guy and, you know, uh, Dick Jones is the bad guy. Yeah. Right? 
I mean, Dick Jones ain't a good guy. No. But Bob Morton ain't a good guy no, either. They're all bad guys. They're all bad guys. That, you know, and that's the hard part because because you're like, well, but he made RoboCop. Like, yeah. dude, he got a guy killed on purpose to make RoboCop, you yeah. know? Like, he's not a good guy. No. But you want to believe he's a good guy because he's not the guy, the other guy. Yeah, there are, yeah, there are very, very few good guys in this movie. They're very few. And the thing is, is that the bad guys range across the board. Three? There, there are. I can think of three because I can Lewis, think of Lewis, Murphy, Murphy, and Sergeant Reed. Sergeant Reed. That's, that's it. about it. And Sergeant Reed is like at the end of his rope. Yeah. I and mean, he's a good guy, but he doesn't. He's not. You know, he's not in the field. He, he, whatever. His hands are tied in yeah. a lot of things. Too. But I'm saying it's like I'm. I'm thinking like I mean, Lewis, Murphy. That's it. Yep. There are no other good guys here. Not the other. Not that the, the other cops in the precinct are bad guys. But they're. But, but they're. But there is a bit where we will see where the cops become. You know, but I'm saying yeah. the, the other cops in the precinct, I don't know how, how bad they are as people, but we just don't, they're not an intricate to the story very yeah. much. Well, yeah. put it, uh, I'll, we'll come back yeah, to yeah, that because yeah. there is a bit in there that I that I, I made the connection this time we were watching. Yeah. Um, so he's hailed as uh, affecting against crime. Um, Lewis starts to suspect that it's Murphy um, because he recognizes, she recognizes, he holsters his gun. Yeah. Right? Um, so during, now we got maintenance. Time, right? Yeah. Oh no, no. Take, take it back. He has to. He has to. Um. um no, it's no, no. We're, yeah, we're right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So he, he recognizes. So, she, so he gets up and start, he gets up and he has a memory. Yes. And the memory starts coming through on the screen. Yeah. And so now we're watching a memory on a TV screen yeah. that we already know about because we've seen. Mm-hmm. And he's having a nightmare, basically. Yeah. And he wakes up. Right. And they're like, uh, what do we do? And he's like, stop, uh, halt, um, yeah, the sit. Te- the technicians have They nothing. can't do anything because yeah. now what are you going to do? How are you going to stop a walking tank? Right. And uh, so, yeah. So he, that, and again, this starts raising the metaphysical questions about this film. Okay. Yeah. This is where that really starts. And this starts really coming home in, in very soon in this. But that, I, again, I remember first time it's like, like, wait a minute. They said he wiped his memory. Yeah, and they didn't. Yeah, and they or, or did they? That's they, they, we'll talk about this in a minute. But that's some of the questions that this film asks, and there's no easy answer. But the thing is, like, they think they've wiped yes. his memory, but hey, how can you? Can you truly wipe the deepest seated memories you have? Yes. So when, when he walks out, and I'm, Lewis is like, "Hey, uh, you know, she, hey, take him in," and she's like, "Do you have a name?" And he's like, "Can I help you, officer?" She goes, "It's Lewis. It's me." You know, it's 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 all you know for Lucy. He's like, "Do you need assistance, Officer?" And she's like, "Don't you know your name?" Yeah. And she goes, "Murphy, it's you." And that's when they're like, "Don't talk to him." And, yeah. and it hits him when she says, "Murphy, Murphy it's, it's you. you." Can see Peter Weller's face is pretty much covered. You can only see his yeah. mouth. He does a great bit of acting with his mouth. Right there, you're like, "Oh, oh boy, he knows." Like, yeah. You know, now he doesn't know, but there's something there in the name Murphy. Yeah. And and the line, his response to that is one of my absolute favorite lines from this film is I have to go somewhere there is a crime happening. Yeah. So again, it's still the program. Yeah. And that's what Morton yells at her because the technicians come and grab Lewis and Morton comes in and says, and yells at him because I didn't interrogate him. I asked him his name. Let me tell you something. He doesn't have a name. He has a program. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the whole idea. Yeah. Is that so now he goes out on patrol and this is where we, we see Emil uh, yeah, gonna, Emil is holding up a gas station. So he's filling up his bike and he's holding it. He goes, you a college boy? Yeah. You think you out some out of bullet in there? And the great, um, I, I love Emil. He, he is, he is scuzzy to no end. Yes. And yet at the same time, you're like, man, this guy's like, he, he's, 
he's a sociopath. I mean, he's an absolute unmitigated sociopath. Yeah. But it's like, but he's like, okay, he's kind of a jerk. But he's like all over the map too. He's also kind of a realist for this. Yes, too. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. like, guys, look, we're not going to outrun this. Yeah. You know, later we see he just wants to have his drink and watch a show. Yeah, no, like, he, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's the most grounded <laughs> of, of the group of psychopaths, you know, here. Uh, if you can be grounded in this group of psychopaths. Yeah. Um, and that's where we have, um, obviously, where he, he encounters Emil who recognizes. So, and so he comes out and he goes, dead or alive, you're coming with me. And what does Emil say? You're dead. We killed you. Yeah. And Murphy freezes. Yeah. You can see it. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, in the theater, you're sitting there going, oh, he knows. Oh, he knows. Yeah. And now he's not the cop who's outgunned. Yeah. Now he's the one who's better than you. And part of you, I, I can say it's part of me as a nine-year-old was like, kill him. Yeah. Just kill him. Like, he kill him. He killed you. Like, it's that revenge you right. want. You want that justice. But as, as an adult watching it, you realize, oh my God, how emotionally scarred that scene is. Yeah. And how hurtful that scene is. Right. You know, uh, when he says it to him. Well, and the thing is that, is that it's, it's both ways. Yeah. Because Emil has literally seen a ghost now. Yeah. Because he's like, you're dead. The disbelief. We killed you. Yeah. We killed you. It's like, it's, it, his whole world is now... He, he and and I'll tell you what for a guy who's just had his whole world broken apart he thinks pretty quick yeah because <laughs> he takes the gas and he sprays it around and he takes he, he takes the last drag off the cigarette yeah got the last drag off the cigarette and they blow up a gas station yes back for, in the 80s when you could blow up gas stations they actually <laughs> did blow up a gas station like the thing in this movie every explosion is real yeah like I mean they might be controlled explosions and whatever kind of thing but there's no faking CG there's no CG explosions and fire there's blow it up yeah. And that's the scene where, obviously, the, it, because Murphy now freezes, the station explodes around him. And here comes the guy. Somebody's in a burn suit walking out of that yeah. thing. So more power to that brother, right? He walks out, and then he shoots the, the bike out. Yeah, shoots the bike out from underneath the meal, and the meal crashes. Yeah. And he he grabs a meal, and he holds him, and he says, who are you? And Emil, of course, is like, ugh. He because goes, he just he crashed goes, the bike. But he, but he, and he gets go, who are are you and you can feel the hatred yeah in in peter weller is a great actor I, yeah. I know people may not give him credit for a lot of things he's a really great actor in you know he's not a dramatic he's not going to be your leading man dramatic you know like love story you know romantic communist or he, he he brings a lot to the role because he brings sincerity to his role yeah so um where are we so uh robocop then uses the police database to identify emile's associates and review Murphy's record. So he walks in, and this is the best. He goes, Can we help you? And he just—that's when he uh, he first interfaces with the machine yeah. with the idea of the spike coming out of his hand. Yeah. Nothing says the 1980s more than like that's because that's what they thought people were going. It wasn't going to yeah. be distance stuff. It was going to be like an insert and a turn. Yep. And he figures out who Emil is by going through the, the composite shot, and then we learn about all the different associates, yeah. including Clarence Boddicker. And it's, it goes to Boddicker and he goes in and says, uh, wanted for like 25 cop killings. And yeah. it says, re most recent, you know, and it's Murphy. Yeah. And then it says, and it shows it shows Peter Weller and it says deceased. deceased. And it, these scenes, I know some people might dismiss them like, oh, who cares? Who cares? If you, when you watch and really pay attention to what's happening, there's a lot of power in each of these scenes. Yeah. They mean things. It's not just throwaway. No. You know, there's no filler. It's, it's, this movie is, is, 
not it's not a short it's not like a nail you know, it's not like you know 80 but it, minutes but it's lean yeah. but it's yeah it's yeah. lean that's probably the best way to say it there's it's, no flab in this movie yeah. everything means something yeah so um, this is when he finds Emil's associates obviously in the in the police records for Murphy Robocop copy okay, so he starts remembering further memories while exploring Murphy's former home um, where his wife and son have obviously moved away following his death yeah now this is this, thing I'm, that this scene again all the memories that he has earlier right. come from he see them again here because he sees them in context of yeah. his home he, he they find a picture that they took on Halloween yes and yeah. he has a memory of taking the picture with the family he remembers um, you know his wife him says I really need to talk to you tell you something and that she loves him and all these things and he's getting he's getting emotional and angry and so this is this is where he kind of introduces the question that is this believe this is an academic question that has been posed and papers written about this film is Murphy the man that's been turned into a machine or is Robocop the machine that believes it's a man yeah. and that is the difference and to me I know what side I fall on there are different ways to look at this yeah. to me Murph it's Murphy Right, that's that. He's the man that they have taken him and turned him into a machine, turned him into a product. Yeah. But the fact his inherent life, the fact that his life still has meaning and dignity, cannot go away from there. Yeah. And and you know you can you can take him, you can mutilate him, you can stick him into a metal shell. He's still Murphy. Right yeah. now there, but again there are there. There's been a lot of different. I've, I've read articles about this. And it's like no, this is the memories of Murphy because Murphy says. Later, he'll say, I can't remember them, but I can feel them. So this is the vestiges of Murphy living in a shell, living in a metal body. So it's, like there's, it's, it's not what you necessarily expect from the film up to this point where it's been, you know, gloriously violent and gruesome. But now it's, at, now it's asked making you think about the nature of life. And, and what point does... You know, we, we had a conversation the other day. If you change enough parts, is it still the same thing? Yeah. Is, is it still Murphy? There's so little of him left, but is it enough? Is it his soul? Is it his brain? Is it his memories? Or is this vestiges? Is this a, a, a flicker of data? Is this a string of ones and zeros? So that, that is what makes this film powerful. The other thing that it brings up here is something that has been talked about by many people who have lost limbs um, and amputees and stuff, they still feel the leg. They yep. still feel the hand. It's there. I have pain in something that doesn't exist anymore. Right. Um, and that's real. That is something that is real. There are people who have who deal with that every day, who have come home from war, who have come home from you know an accident, who they, they still feel those things. Mm -hmm. um, war, you know, the, the wounded warrior projects and all those things that like that you hear about. Yeah. Like, there's a reason those things exist because those people needed help. And this is exploring that exact same idea to an extent. Yeah. Here in a movie where, I mean, you know, it's like, okay, but like maybe people didn't even think about it in that no. was context. And now looking at it where we know so much more mm -hmm. about PTSD. Yeah. We know so much more about the, what, the even trauma that is not even at this level yeah. does to your psyche, does mm -hmm. to your soul, does to your, your feet, everything that is you. Yeah. And it is... It is hard, folks. I understand that. You know, you're thinking like, well, Jay, this is getting kind of deep. Like, this is a hard movie. It's a movie. deep movie. And it, 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 it's a hard movie. It's a deep movie. It looks like it should be a popcorn movie, and it's yeah. not. And that's, I think, why, you know, RoboCop to this day, what do you put the sequels and the, whatever yeah. you might care about, this movie itself 
is so much more important than all the other stuff that came that built out of it. The yeah. sequels and the, and the whatever's and that's all great in the franchise, right? Yeah. So um, where are we here? Uh, now this is going on. Meanwhile, Dick Jones gets Clarence Bodiger to to murder Paul Morton. Now this scene. Features Bob Morton. I say Bill Morton. He's, he's Ed Morton. Ed Morton. I don't know. He's Ed, somebody Morton. Like I said, Morton. Um, so, Morton. So uh, Dick Jones has Clarence Boddicker go and he's going to kill him. Now, uh, Morton's now with two um, women. I'm not he assuming. He calls them models. He so calls they got them a couple models. of models coming over. Yeah. And they're doing, a, they're doing a lot of coke. One could presume they're voting for Ronald Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> because we know now. Um, right before this actually occurs, we have a scene where um, in the executive bathroom and like whatever. Oh, like yeah. Right? Where um, Bob is just spouting off at the mouth. He just doesn't care. He thinks he, he can do anything. And all the guys in the bathroom start getting nervous. Yeah. Because he's talking about Dick Jones. Dick Jones. And how much he's like, well, that old man, you know, he he's nothing. And he's, and he's talking about how he's just being absolutely disrespectful to about Jones. And the guy winds up like, oh, I got to go somewhere and pees his pants. And pants. Right now. Oh, that's and great. And now you have the confrontation between Morton and Jones in the bathroom. Yeah. Which is, you know, you're like, well, Bob Morton, is he really a bad guy? And you're like, he is a bad he guy. He is a bad guy. But Dick Jones might be a worse this guy. This guy's a worse guy, yeah. yeah. So that's the problem. Like, it's, it's all shades of, like, how bad are they? Right. And you know Morton's not necessarily a great guy. Kind of, kind of a bad guy, but like, <laughs> is he really Dick Jones bad? Because you know Dick Jones is pretty bad. Yeah, so right. Anyway, um, yeah. So so Boddicker goes. He tells the girls to leave, which I love. I don't know why that abuses me. And one of them all is like, "You're gonna, sorry, Bobby. You're gonna call me." Right. I mean, they are doing insane amounts of coke, and he's like. And he goes, you know who I am? And what did he do? He shoots, shoots him in the him legs. Shoots him in the legs. And he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'll double whatever he's paying you. Like, Clarence Bodiger, F's given, yeah. absolute zero. He is a cop killer. Like, the thing is this. Everyone in the city knows who Clarence Bodiger is. Yeah. It's not like they don't know who this guy is. He is a notorious cop killer. Yeah. He is the biggest runner of drugs Guns. He is the he basically is the kingpin of old Detroit. Or, well, yeah. not, he's the kingpin of Detroit or amongst them, I should yeah. say, right? And it's clear that this guy is you know who he is, yeah, right? Yep. And of course, he's you know puts on the disc. Now this is great. So this is 1987. The only thing like video discs that we had were either video discs, the giant ones yeah. that were in the platters. Or laser disc yeah. is starting to come out. This is essentially a, a DVD because it's a CD. It's yeah. a CD that he puts in. It's like there, there you go, DVD right there. Yeah, it's like who knew it? And and uh, and it's Dick Jones on the DVD. And uh, oh, I love this so much. It's like it helps to think of it as a game. Every game, in every game, there is a winner and there is a loser, and it's very simple. Yeah. This is this is the way the game is played. And it goes back to what Bob what what did Bob Morton say about Ricky or uh, Mr. Kenny? Yeah. That's what it takes in the big leagues. Yeah. You know, it's the, the whole game. The whole point is because we could have been friends. We could have yeah. been pals. We could have been we could have done this together. Yeah. We could have run this business, but we could have run this when the old man's out of the way. Yeah. But you just couldn't stop. Yeah. And now and so he, so he leaves the grenade on the table. Yeah. And I love the grenade just counting down. And Bobby just walks out the house like no big – the thing is he has the, the pin. He just yeah. throws the pin. He doesn't yeah. care. You know? And now Bob Morton is dead. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. And um, obviously, uh, you know, the thing is 
uh, Jones now is now killed Morton, and now the competition is gone. Right. You know, yeah. at OCP. Yeah. Um, so now we get to Robocop. Back, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Robocop is now going to try to track down Bodger's gang. Yeah. Um, and so he goes about trying to, so he's going to so track him down. Yeah. So he doesn't just go right after Bodiger. He goes and gets Leon Nash at the club, yep. which I think is funny because what is Nash's thing? He pulls a gun on him, he smacks knocks. the gun away from him, tries to kick him in the groin, hurts himself. Yeah. And he goes, let's talk. Yeah. And he takes him by the hair and he drags, drags him, out. him out of the club. I mean, you want to talk about RoboCop as a, as a symbol of hyper-masculinity in the yes. 80s. He's so masculine, they kick him in the junk and it hurts the guy that kicked him. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's talk. Yeah. So he drags him in. Um, and obviously, the most famous scene now is coming up for the, the idea of the, the showdown. And this is where uh, um, we have uh, um, Clarence is with uh, Steve, who's the uh, Mim. Yeah. And he's with uh, and Joe. Uh, right? Joe. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're there, right, at, they're, they're going to be there at uh, the, it, it's a warehouse that is just producing cocaine. Yeah, it is a cocaine It's a factory. cocaine factory. Yeah. Like, it is... The, the absurdity... Okay, so some of you are thinking, well, come on, Jay, how much cocaine... Like, this isn't like Scarface with the pile of cocaine on the desk. Yeah. Like, this is a literal factory making um, tubes... And making vials, vials of, cocaine. of cocaine. Yeah, and I work in an auto... I work in an industrial industry, okay? This is something... This is... It's it's conveyors and yeah. machines, and this is an industrial setting that this, they, they have gone high-tech. Yeah. So... This is so. This is Sal. The, the, Sal is the main. Uh, you know, the, I guess he must be the main don of all this kind of coke. Yeah. And Bodiger's there to tell him we're going to buy the coke from you. And he goes, yeah. I don't want to buy. You know, people in my line of my side are nervous about people like you. He's like, show the man we brought him, and he pours all the money out. He goes and he starts throwing the money at him. Yeah. He's like, oh, oh, oh. And the, the thing is, this is I think where uh, why why Clarence being. It's, it, I always think of it as just he's Clarence Bodiger, right? Yeah. You know, he could be red later, but. Like, his lines in here are just dynamite. Yeah. Like, the lines are so good. Like, the, come on, Sally. The tiger of the plane. Tonight. Tonight. I never miss a game. game. You know? <laughs> and he's like, I mean, there are plenty of things I can't say on the show because it's yeah. just inappropriate. You know? He's, he, they, the way they interact, the, 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 the back and forth, and then, like, they pull a gun. And everyone pulls guns. And he goes, guns, guns, guns. You know, kind of thing. Like, those little things, those lines. And they hit you as being, we chuckle because oh, they're, they're, they're lines that we say now. Right. Like, they're lines I say all the time. Um, you know, and it just out of context because there are things that we know. The crazy part is, you, you know, you're like, okay, like, this is, this is absolutely insane. Yeah. But... It's 100% accurate right. for what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens now, you hear, whoa, whoa, and the door is just pushing in. You're like, oh, that ain't going to end well, <laughs> right? So RoboCop kicks in the front door. And, of course, everyone's got guns, shotguns. Yeah. And, you know, come along quietly or there will be trouble. Trouble. And, you know, again, Steve has the best line you can't even say yeah, here. can't say Steve's line. He says an F himself, you know. And they just start unloading on RoboCop. And he's got the cannon there in his hand, right, yeah. you know. And he's targeting and he goes, Ding! and he just, and now he's just targeting yeah. and hitting them. Boom, boom, picking off these guys. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this is really going to end poorly for them. So what's happening now is now there's bullets flying everywhere. Now there's cocaine going everywhere. everywhere. It looks like a snowstorm. Yeah. 
and and he's you know it's and he's he's turning and shooting he's firing yeah. in all directions there's you know the, the 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 guys in here this is a bad day for everybody at the office i mean it, it's to the point where it looks like you know it, i mean he he pivots boom, pivot boom, and it's like it's like as if you are going through um it's like in uh, um well the dirty harry movie with the with the where with oh the, um, um Magnum Force. Magnum Force. Yeah. Where he's, he's hitting on all the, the, on the, on the shooting On the shooting range, range right? Yeah. I mean, kind of, it, it's, it reminds me so much of that. It's so perfectly done because that's exactly what you would want to do yeah. on a shooting range like that. And But this is now not a shooting range. This is now a cocaine uh, warehouse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so now we go through and he's now, I mean, he's laid waste to everybody. Yeah. And of course, Sal gets killed by his own man who falls backwards and shoots him with a gun, which yeah. I think is hysterical. And now Bodiger tries to jump and falls through the roof. Well, he um, tries to jump over off of the catwalk onto one of the offices, yeah. but all it's got is just like a like a sheetrock yeah. roof, and he goes right through it. Right. <laughs> and this is where Robocop now has got Bodiger. Yeah. And he's like, puts him through the window, and he's like, all right, all right, I, I'm, I, I'm giving up. And he's and he's reading his rights, but he's putting him through plate glass windows. Yeah. He goes, and I, what is with this? And there's other words we can't yeah. say, right? And he's like, Robocop is now going to kill him yeah and they're now like this is where the question we, we keep talking about is this murphy yeah or is this program right because it ain't program right now yeah like program says arrest is he saying arrest arrest arrest, arrest, arrest. arrest. yeah it's telling him what to do and what does he do he grabs him by the throat and he's now squeezing the life out of Boddicker and he's like you know i work for dick jones yeah dick jones this, this is the key thing because Boddicker wants Boddicker says I work for Dick Jones. He runs OCP. OCP runs the cops. You're a cop. Yeah. So Boddicker's doing whatever he can to save yeah. his own life but, at this yeah, point. But he's got, I work for Dick Jones. Dick Jones. Dick Jones runs OCP. OCP runs the cops. And he's got him by the throat and he's squeezing him to death. He goes, you're a cop. Yeah. And he's like, "You, I am. You're yeah. under arrest. And he's like, you know, grasping at his throat. Yeah. And you're just like, part of you wants him to crush his windpipe. Yeah. And part of you is like, he can't. Right. He can't do that. So, of course, now he brings him into the station. And I love that. Oh. Book him. What's the charge? He's a cop killer. Right? Yeah. And he spits the blood out. Give me my effing phone call. Yeah. Right? And you're like, oh, my God. Are you kidding me? He just told him. Yeah. Who's running the thing. Yeah. And, he, of course, he's a he's a cyborg. So, his memory is admissible in court. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, that's... Uh, so, yeah, so what happens is, is that Boddicker gets out immediately. And he, you know, he, he tells him that. He's like, oh, no, he, call, no, he calls him on the phone. He calls yeah. Jones. And he yeah. says, he says yeah, his, you told him everything. And his, like you said, his, his memory's admissible in court. He said, don't do, he basically, he basically tells him, don't do anything else stupid. Yeah. You know? Well, get you out in a minute. <laughs> get, yeah. you, get you out in 24, out in 24 hours. hours. So now Robocop goes to OCP. Yeah. And he goes right upstairs and, and it's great because Dick Jones opens and he goes, officer, I don't usually see people without appointments, but I'll make an exception for you. Yeah. And what are you here for? And he's like, you're under arrest for, and he's like, oh, you better arrest me then. Yeah. And then directive four kicks in. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, we don't, I mean, obviously you kind of maybe figure out the directive four might be a fail safe or something in there. Right. Um, but he says, that was my little addition to Bob Morton's thing. And he, but he starts telling him. Yeah. Everything. Right. So here's the thing. He just yells, Dick Jones yells at Boddicker for getting him involved. Yeah. Right? So then what does Dick Jones do? I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a mistake. Now it's time, yeah, to, erase now it's time to erase that mistake. He does the same thing that Boddicker does. Because I, it's, his, it's, his, it's his 
brutal arrogance. That's yeah. what I think it is. It's hubris because right. he knows hubris. what's coming. Right. He because knows he what's knows that the, that any time since Robocop tried to arrest him, he's now going to system shut down. Yeah. But I've got an Ed 209 with me here. Yeah. And Ed 209 should, in theory, be able to rip Robocop in half. Right. If Robocop can't defend himself. Yeah. You know? And it is the 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 this yeah this the fight. amount of work the amount of yeah. work that this entire special effects crew put in on this I mean it looks real yeah there's nothing fake looking mm-hmm. it all looks good and you're like man how much work did they do they did so much work and the thing is everything blends together seamlessly oh my god because we've got a go motion at two oh nine we have we have a full size at two full size at for the shot over the shoulder yeah we've yeah. got we've got you know. Robo as, you know, on set. Yeah. We've got Robo as go motion when yeah. he's interacting. There's a couple of scenes where he's interacting couple, with, yeah, quick, with the yeah, Ed 209 yeah. where he's go motion. There are physical explosions and stuff on set. A thing yeah. of, of uh, so at one point, the Ed 209 has, he has a rocket launcher. Yeah. And he keeps loading in a rocket and it's blowing up things in the hallway. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah, which are actually exploding right. in so, a hallway. Right. So you've got a full-size... Uh, prop and you've got an, a, a, a effect rocket and then a squib explosion not yeah. firing an actual rocket yeah. but they're yeah. blowing blowing yeah. some of it all of it comes together yeah and this is of course the, the, the real famous I mean I mean Robocop is just getting beaten pillar to post here yeah and but then we discover that perhaps Ed 209 besides having bad ears may have another weakness so Robocop gets to the stairwell he's trying to get out and so now Ed 209 Ducks through the door because that is hum- adorable. But but that is that is Phil Tippett. Yeah, he, Phil Tippett's like, well, he's huge. He should duck through. Yeah, but he right. but he ducks and then tucks his arms in. Yeah. So clearly, it's a oh, we program to go through doors. Yeah, we program to go through yeah. doors. The door go through the we door. We wouldn't be stupid to leave something important like that out. You know. <laughs> but then gets to the stairs and it can't understand the stairs. So very Phil Tippett because Phil Tippett, of course, he loves Ray Harryhausen. Yeah. Its foot is like reaching and trying to like touch a stair, and it's like, huh, what, what's going on here? And it finally says, oh, okay, oh, I can do this. And then goes a step and then falls right down, falls the, stairs, right down the stairs and then throws a hissy fit. It lands on its back and it starts crying. Crying and picking its. Phil Tippett put his signature on these things. And um, this, this, yeah, this is what I mean when I say it's he's perfect in every way because he's perfect as a menace, as yeah. a threat. He's also perfect as comedy. Yeah. You were now this thing was gonna kill the hero 30 seconds ago. And, you're and now it's useless. Yeah. It's stuck on its back and can't get up. Yeah. And you always get the thing, Murphy's just looking at it like, huh. Yeah. Okay. But, but he's trying to get out because he's still in shutdown mode, yeah. in shutdown mode. Um Robocop is then uh, so okay, so they're allowing him now to escape. So now Robocop's able to get on that stairs and escape. But now he gets to the basement, and he's going to try to get out. Yeah. But what happens? Dick Jones is like, they're tearing the place apart. Get the cops here now. Yeah. Everything you got. He, he couldn't get back up when he had a, the mass murder. They, yeah. they got every cop in Detroit. Well, you know, OCP pays the bills, right? So yeah. OCP is the ones you better go and step and fetch it type of yeah. situation. And this is, what, this is what I was talking about earlier when I said that even though that, that the cops may not be bad guys per se, okay, twice in this movie, Murphy is face down with a wall of weapons and they open fire on him. One time it's the gang, the other time it's the SWAT team. This is the same SWAT team that we saw earlier at City at City Hall. Who's already mad at him because he ruined, because I was going to negotiate this yeah. and then he went and just did so, it. Yeah. So now, again, because OCP controls the cops, 
these cops, this SWAT team, and the other cops that are firing on them, they're perfectly okay to work for OCP. Even though they know this guy's one of us. You know, they're perfectly all right to surround him and just point blank keep firing on him. Yeah. But there's a difference now. Again, you know. Well, there's some of the guys from his precinct go, no, we can't. Yeah. He's a cop. The, guy, the guys, yeah, the guys, some of the guys in his precinct, yes. Yeah. But like they said, the, the SWAT team's in, I mean, they got the shotguns yeah. and they got so, armor. So the thing is, the guys in the precinct are like, no, he's one of us. He's a cop. You can't do this. And they tell him, oh, get they back. Get back. And yeah. they don't fire on him. Yeah. Which I think is... I, I, I like that. Yeah. Because if they start firing, then you're hypocrites. Right. You know? They're like, but he's a cop. He's a cop. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. Because they are loyal to it being a cop. The SWAT team is like, OCP well, pays the bills now. But yeah, but you got to think about that too. And this comes up in, in the next scene. Okay. The SWAT team, you got to imagine, they're probably pretty well armed and armored right now that OCP, mm -hmm. a military industrial firm, is providing them with gear. Yeah. So they probably do have some loyalty to OCP because you got to imagine that I'd imagine that in old Detroit the SWAT team was probably being outgunned until recently. Yeah. And now they've got the equipment and they've got because that's something that they're not going to come in and give good weapons to the regular uh, black and whites. They're going to give it to the guys that are going to look good on in front of a balance sheet. It's like yeah. look at all the violent crime we stamped down with this uh, with our power military police force. Yeah. So as RoboCop is trying to like escape level to level to level, they keep getting him, and we see a cop car pull up right to his face, and it's it's Lewis. Yeah. And she just dumps him in the car, and what happens? They like he's down here, and they open fire on Lewis. Yeah. And that I think is hard because you're like they're opening fire on why are they opening fire on their own? And it's like but they're not their own right now. They have an order to kill RoboCop. Lewis is just collateral damage. Yeah, collateral damage. Now she's able to get him away, and they take him to the old abandoned steel mill to try to repair him. That's a uh, that's a little. Uh, there's some psychology going on there, yeah. right? It's like you're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna take this we're gonna take you to the place where you died, basically. Yeah. And in order to heal you. Yeah. So it's like to me again, I I might be completely freestyling here. Okay. Well, I think it's because it's abandoned. It's, it's abandoned. Yeah. It's also a set we've seen in yes. the film. Yeah. We know where it is. Yeah. We don't yeah. need to establish yeah. it. So there's an economy. Yeah. But from a thematic standpoint, okay, Murphy was suffered the greatest trauma imaginable here in this steel mill. Mm -hmm. He is coming to grips with who and what he is. He has to go back there. He has to go to the place where he suffered the trauma. He has to go to the origins of the trauma to come to terms and overcome that trauma. So the, the, the scene where he dies is referred to the crucifixion of Murphy. Yeah. So he has to come home yeah. to where he was crucified yeah. to accept the fact of either he is truly a machine with memories or he's a man who's been given parts to... Yeah, he's a man who is now a machine. A machine. Yeah. And, um, you know, of course... We get there and, you know, she brings him what he's at. She brings him his gun. Yeah. And she brings him the black and Decker like, to take the screws yeah. out. And she's, I brought you some, you know, from the eat. And it's baby food. Baby food. He, you know, kind of thing. Tastes like Tastes baby like food. Tastes like baby food. Um, Knock yourself out. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> and he's there with the gear. He's trying to realign his leg. And she's like, let me help you. He goes, leave me alone. And it's hard because Lewis wants to help him. Yeah. Because she feels so guilty. Right. Her guilt is there, and he can feel her guilt, but he also knows he needs to do some of this alone. He needs to process this yeah. because he takes the helmet off, and, and she holds up well, the, the broken well, piece of metal. What's the first thing he says? You might not like what you might see. Might not like what you see. And he doesn't take out little tiny screws. No. 
those screws are got to be a good 12 inches yeah, long each. Yeah, the big long bolts that are going into his head. Yeah. And she holds up the, the, the piece of metal and he yeah. can see himself. And now we see him. This is the first time we've seen yeah. Murphy with the helmet off. Yeah. Then and it's Peter Weller's face. Yeah. And it's a beautifully done cowl. You can see. I mean, it's seamless. I mean, you, it looks like if you didn't know better, you think they shaved Peter Weller's head. Yeah. Um, and then skinned it, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Like, but yeah, it's it's. But it's there. I mean, right. it's, you know, and yeah. So again, you like Lewis's guilt over what what she helped. What happened because she was she got knocked down and she feels guilty. Yeah. But Murphy has to come to terms with this himself. Yeah. He has to understand this is what I am now. And what does that mean? And can I come to terms with this? Yeah. You know? And so we do they you know, they when she awakens, Lewis is asleep, she's dozed off and she hears the auto nine firing and that'll wake anybody up, frankly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so now he is trying to get his aim back because his targeting computer is damaged yeah and so he lets lewis help him yeah and together they're able to again help him become more healed he can function some more again because murphy lets lewis help him yeah and it's a very hard scene because he doesn't want any help but he clearly needs, needs help. help so and um, isn't that again with we've been talking about trauma and mental health when it is and, and, all, and all of us, in some capacity, okay, have had a crisis with mental health, great or small. And no matter what that is, it's alien for most of us to admit we need help when we need it the most. Yeah. You know? And that's something that, again, if, if nothing else, as we sit here and record this in, in 2022, the last few years and COVID has taught us that to when you need help, do not be so proud that you... Put yourself in a worse situation. If you need help, ask for help. Yeah. You know, and and I, I, you know, that that I put that out on social media. Any chance I get that if you need help, there are places you can get help. And you know, everybody has someone who will help them and and needs help. But yeah. in any event, yeah. so now OCPs, you know, they're underfunding and the and short staffing. The police force goes on strike. Yeah, and Detroit descends into absolute chaos. Yep. Riots break out throughout the city. Uh, now, obviously, um, Dick Jones has got uh, Karen's Spotify out of jail. Um, and, you know, they have their meeting, that kind of thing, while yeah. this is happening. And, you know, they're rebuilding everything. And they're very clear. I mean, they, they, these two guys are despicable. Yeah. And it's very clear. Like, look, you want to you wanna run, you know, there's going to be millions of people yeah. doing this thing. When we build Delta City, that's two million new people. Yeah, and it's like it's like drugs, gambling, prostitution. One man could run it all, yeah. and there's a great little bit of symmetry here because you know that Dick Jones and Clarence Bodick were working together for a while. Way back at the presentation of Ed Two Hundred Nine, Dick Jones is giving his presentation, and he says that we have traditionally found profit in markets that others didn't. I say good business is where you find it. And then later at Sal, that's exactly what Clarence Boddicker says. It's like, Sal, good business is where you find it. Yeah. So it's like they are, they are cut from the same cloth. Yes. They are parasites. Yeah. They exploit others for personal gain and profit. One does it with a gun. The other does it with a ballpoint pen. Yeah. And, but they are both, again, both of them are portrayed as equally evil in yeah. this film for the yeah. things that they do. Yeah. Um, so now what happens is he's like, I need my guys out of jail. I need weapons. 
I need, and so what they do? All right, get weapons. So no, I love is like uh, we're gonna need some. We need some weapons. You got access to military? Are you kidding? We practically are the military. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is where we now cut, and now obviously the riots are happening, and we have a meal. Yeah. Who is drinking? <laughs> trying to watch, you know, the show that everyone's like, I'll buy that for a dollar, you know. Uh -huh. And what happens is. Um, he takes the bottle and smashes out the window, and now he's he's just sitting there. Yeah, because the guys are smashing out the yeah. the, the nudie show yeah. down the block, and so he can't hear. So he smashes the window, turns the volume, turns up, the volume back there. Yeah, you know, which is, you know. So the thing is, obviously, he's there watching this, and Clarence pulls up with with uh, with Leon. Yep. Right. And he goes, oh, he goes, what's going on? He goes, oh, look, they let me keep the shirt, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Like he just got out of prison, and he goes. And, you know, he's like, look what I got here. Oh, look at these guns, right, yeah. kind of thing. And then what happens is um, Joe pulls yep. up in his, goes, oh, you got a car like Clarence. The, the, the 66,000 SUX gets eight miles to the gallon. Yeah, an American muscle is back. Right? And so they go, let, 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 let me try this out. And they shoot the gun. They got the assault cannon. Right? And, they're like, and, he, and he goes, let me show you. And he goes, Clarence, what are you doing? Clarence, what are you doing? And Clarence blows up Joe's car. Yeah. He goes, nice car. You nice know, car you got there, Joe. Right? And so now they're using the gun to blow up the store. They're blowing up. I mean, they're blowing everything up. Yeah. And you're like, these guys are psychos. Oh, yeah. Right? And what happened? He goes, let's go. So Emil's got the, 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 the delivery bread, truck. The delivery truck. They get a bread truck. And they, they load the guns in. And they now have a tracker. Obviously, they have the yeah. tracker for Robo. So they're going to go get Robocop. Right. And you're like, oh, boy. <laughs> this is going to be interesting because they now have... Not shotguns anymore. Yeah. They have military grade, like, armor pier they're tank. They're, they're anti-tank anti armor guns. Yeah, they're anti-tank guns, basically. <laughs> right? That they can shoot by the hand. Right. So, um, so they, they're, they're headed to the steel mill, right? With yeah. the rest of his gang. And they're going to take a higher to destroy him, right? At the steel mill, um, like, so now they're going to, so now the thing is, like, they see him coming. Yeah. So they split up. Right? So Lewis... And so Lewis, Robocop tells Lewis, get in the car yeah. and go, like, let's split up and let's try to drive them apart, right? Yeah. So now Emil is driving, Emil in the van, right? Kind of Emil Emil's the van. in the van, yeah. and they're now on foot right. with the gun. So Robocop says, looking for me, and when he turns and he shoots Joe. Yeah. And Joe's dead. Yep. I mean, he, he reels off and he dies, right? But now you still have Leon, and you still have Bodiger. And you have Emil, yeah. who all have one of these guns. Right. Right? And the gun, they shoot it, and they're blowing everything up. I mean, it's just, I mean, this steel mill, again, whether you know, it was a steel mill originally or not, or whatever it was dressed as, yeah. they are blowing the heck out of this thing. So what happens is now, you got to get, so, you know, Emil's, he's going to the van. We go get in the, in the, in the uh, Clarence gets in the car. Yeah. And he sends Leon up after him. Right. To split him, to, to drive him out, right? So now you have Leon... Oh, with the gun up in there, right? right. You have Emil in the truck, and you have Clarence, Clarence the on the in the car. Yeah. So and and now Lewis is in the car. Yeah, she's in car, the cop car. Cop yeah. car. So you so now what happens is Robocop's there and he's luring uh, Emil. Emil's going to run into him. Yeah. And Robocop sidesteps the truck, and Emil crashes into the toxic, toxic waste. waste. Yeah, so he shoots, he shoots at him, yeah. and Emil's got to swerve out of the yeah. way, and he crashes into the, the uh, vessel of toxic waste. Now, you know, growing up in the 80s, you know, there, there's a meme that goes around that says, you know, I thought, as a, as a kid, I thought quicksand, quicksand yeah. was going to be a much bigger problem. As a kid, I thought toxic waste was going to be a much bigger problem, much, much bigger problem. Than, than, than it's really turned out to be in my adult life. Yes. <laughs> um, 
This scene oh. is... Oh, God. So, for those of you who are thinking, like, well, you know, like, they need a bunch of robots and stuff, and they blew some people's hands off and stuff. Um, the Melting a Meal, oh, which is, of course, a per per homage to The Incredible Melting Man from 1977. Yeah. Um, that alone is one of the most disgusting designs I've ever seen. He is literally melting. Yes. Um, and They're, obviously, it's uh, oh, I keep it coming. It's it's Paul McCrane. Paul McCrane is uh, plays a meal. Yeah. Um, people know him as the jerk doctor from ER who finally gets his comeuppance when the helicopter lands on. Yes, um, but I'm just throwing it out there. Um, it is well, that scene is considered to be one of the most disgusting things ever, and it's all prosthetics, you know, foam latex headpiece, melting skin off of the bones, like marshmallow sauce, like yeah. it's, But it's so he's so drippy. Right. You know, kind of thing. Um, and the crazy part is his body's like liquefying. Yeah. It, right? It, they describe it as like marshmallow sauce. Yeah. Because it's just kind of, it's that thick, goopy sort of thing yeah. and it's just dripping off. Oh, and he's God, like, it's help me. And he goes, so he gets to Leon. Leon goes, get off me, man. He goes, help me. <laughs> and he's just kidding. Get off of me, man. His lips and his lips are drip drooping off, so he can't even talk because yeah. his mouth is now drooping open from it. So now here's Boddicker driving and Lewis, and they're fighting with the cars, right? Yeah. And what happens is Lewis is hitting them and hitting them and hitting them, and Boddicker's not paying attention. Right. So here out steps Emil, yeah. and he goes ah, and he, he splatters Emil all over, oh all over the windshield. Over the windshield. Now. What did they oh use my here? God. They, 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 you know, they wound up using, um, I'm trying to remember. It's like, raw chicken. Yeah. Soup. soup gravy. gravy. Like, oh, it's, it's just gross. It's everything gloopy and gloppy and it yeah. goes everywhere. And, and the thing is, is that the head hits the windshield. Yes. And rolls. Completely by accident. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, um, it's a dummy stand-in, obviously, that they're going to, you know, they're not yeah. going to hit a, a real person. Either, that kind of thing, right? Even in 1987. Yeah. Yeah. Even then. Um, so... But the the idea though is he cut they it, it's a, it's standing with all this stuff and it just obliterates oh, God. and it's such an effective scene even though they kind of if you know how the sausage is made it's still okay yeah but it's such an effective scene um, and now we get to the point where Boddicker is you know, crashes and he's now in, in he's out of the car yeah and now you have Lewis is going to get to try to get the drop on him. But right. she, of course, doesn't. No. Um, and she gets shot. Yes. Right? So now what happens is you have Robo in, in it says, as Lewis is now shot, Robocop is now in the pit. The, it's, it's a, I think it's supposed to be like a, like a, like a, like a, a retention pond or yeah, something. Because some it's, it's, it's got a little bit of water in it. Yeah. But it's not, it's not, it's only like ankle, like ankle maybe super knee deep, deep yeah. top. So now he's got Bodiger and he's got the, he's got the drop on him. Yeah. Bodiger goes, I'm giving up. I, I give up. Yeah. Because he knows now Leon has now snuck his way up to where. Uh, yeah. He's got the excavator. The excavator. is going to drop. It's a, whatever the load is in the yeah. excavator, which is steel beams and right. a bunch of other debris. So now, so now we have Lewis who's been shot and she's fallen down the embankment to the water. Yeah. And, and, and as Bodiger's going to kill her. He puts the gun down. Yeah. Right? And he's gonna he's gonna finish killing her. But then Robocop's like coming after him. He's like, oh, I'm unarmed. I'm, yeah. And again, I, he always goes, oh, I give up. Yeah. I give up, you know. Yeah. And so he goes, I'm not arresting you anymore. Yeah. He goes, what do you mean you're not arresting me anymore? <laughs> hey man, you're starting to feel scare me here. Yeah. Right? And he's keep looking at Leon to drop the yeah. load, drop the load. So Leon gets the load and Robocop's gonna kill him. Yeah. And 
Leon drops an entire load. Now, the same dummy was used, yes. but the load dropped on it that had, obviously, the, the guts that went everywhere, because why we not reuse the dummy? Right. Right? And he's like, oh, we got him, yeah. right? I got him, Clarence, I got him. And what happens, Lewis now climbs up, grabs the, 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 the gun, and obliterates, uh, just absolutely destroys. Yeah, the entire uh, upper, the upper, upper deck. The entire upper deck thing, which then kills uh, Leon, Yeah. right? So now you've got Robocop in this pile of stuff, and, you know, Boddicker's like, I'm going to, he's going to, why don't you die? Yeah. Why can't you die? And he grabs one of the poles. It's a piece of rebar. Rebar. Yeah. And stabs him through the chest with it. Yeah. Through, and you're like, okay, like, you got to kill him now. Right. Right? And Verhoeven actually had wanted, um, wanted the scene to be Robocop to stab him right through the eye. Yes. But they thought that might be a little much because... It didn't quite fit the seat. It was weird how it was sitting. And, yeah. You know. The other thing I've read is that they wanted to do that, but he thought it wouldn't be worthwhile to film it because it's going to get cut. They're yeah. going to censor that anyway. Yeah. So there's no reason to use to spend that money, which is yeah. a real consideration. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But the thing is, it would be probably really effective, but yeah. it's going to get cut anyway. So he's stabbing him, and then you see Robo put the the the, uh, the data the data uh, spike data spike out, and he just and it's just a quick in and out, and it's just a burst of blood hits his chest. Yeah, it actually is the most probably tame death in the movie. Yeah, but it actually works probably better that way because right. it's so. But now Boddicker falls over and he's dead, and he goes, "Lewis, you okay?" And she's, like, "I'm a mess. They'll fix you." They fix everything. They fix everything. And now he's pulling himself out of there, and you're like, okay, man, like, where else will we go with yeah. this movie? Like, you know, this movie's, That's, you're on a roller coaster. Yeah, and, that, and again, another, they fix everything. Yeah. It's like, whatever, ha- it's, you know, and again, it, it's coming to terms with that. I mean, he again, pulls the rebar out of his chest. Pulls the rebar out of his chest. But it's like, he, again, has Murphy come to terms with the fact that he's dead and now has been, you know, for fixed? You know that these are the things that that there's these little lines in there that have meaning. Yeah. So of course they you now now he's going to go to OCP. Yeah. Um, and he goes and if there's Dick Jones up there talking, don't worry, I have an I have an Ed two hundred nine on patrol downstairs. Yeah. Well, they see the riots as a great opportunity. Yes. Because he says uh, we could have Ed two hundred nine deployed in the city in like forty eight hours or whatever it is because yeah. that clearly is a solution to the riots going on in Detroit. Yeah. Is a a a. Uh, Deploy Ed 209. That'll help pacify yeah. the situation. Right. It'll pacify everything. It'll all be dead <laughs> in the streets. Right? So, um, obviously now, Robocop wants to, you know, take care of Dick Jones. Yep. He's the last one. So, the Ed 209 says, you are illegally parked. And it's like, <laughs> you he, have 20 seconds to, to move comply. your vehicle. <laughs> he, pulls the, he pulls the anti-gun out and just blasts the thing, right? Oh, I, I love that again. He's illegally parked. So they're gonna open fire on it yeah. because that's the that, that's when 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 you're when you're a hammer, the whole world looks like a nail. Yeah. <laughs> so he shoots him with the gun, and of course, there's a very this is very much Phil Tippett. You know, it could have very easily just gone over. Yeah. And what happens? It walks back on the screen it, with half its body blown off, yeah. and then just yeah. and falls down because, as he said, and Phil always said, he goes, he goes, it was, he goes, it's a beautiful concept. It's it's amazing. He said, but it's like the most useless thing in the world. Yeah. Right, kind of thing, really um, and it is. So what happens? He goes upstairs, and now Robo is there, and he's like, "Oh, what kind of help?" He goes, "Dick Jones is a you know he, that's a serious charge," and he now is playing. He puts the spike out, which still got the blood on it, yep. and he plays the video, and he says, "I can't arrest him because he's an executive of OCP." Yeah, 
And he's like, and he's like, I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a mistake. Dick. Now it's time to erase his mistake. And you know, the scene where he says, Dick, you're fired. Yeah. So Dick right? Jones grabs the old man yeah, with with the gun. He yeah. had a gun because he had a gun in a box in the boardroom because it's the same gun he had from when they had the Edge yeah, Nine demonstration, right? So he fires him, and he goes, thank you. And that's when he shoots Dick Jones, yep. and he goes out the window. Now, the one people have said, oh, that looks so horrible. The arms are too long. Yes, they had very little money. They did it very, very quickly. Yep. Stop motion. They had to do it fast. Um, if I want to, you know, if you want to have one knock on this movie, it's probably that scene. Right. But he falls all the way to Dan Ground. He yep. dies. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah with, with being fired, directive four goes, yeah, goes away. away yeah. yeah. And so now we get to the point where... Um, you know, the old man says, compliments, Murph, uh, compliments Robocop and says, hey, what's your name? And Robocop replies, Murphy. Yeah. And that's how the movie that's ends. That's how it ends. And powerful. It, powerful oh, it, it runs the gamut because it can be this film when I was a kid. I loved this movie as a kid, which I know some people are probably a little taken aback by. Okay, I'll own that. But I enjoyed it on that, on a very surface level. Right? Yeah. Because that's what it was when you were a kid. Robocop is a cool cyborg cop who hunts down all these bad guys and, you know, blows up Ed 209. So you enjoy it on that level. And it's stuck with me over the years. And it now means so much more. Yeah. I get so much more out of it that this is one of those films where it really does deserve the reevaluation that it got. Mm -hmm. and, and it's like... I put this up as one of the best science fiction films of the 1980s, bar none. Mm -hmm. And and it's, you know, again, it the, the fact that it has, you know, that, that's always this thing that science fiction, it can be just, you know, rocket ships and ray guns. But the best science fiction really is about something. Yeah. And this is about that. It's about consumerism. It's about capitalism, exploitation of resources. It's a, about the, the, like I said, the dignity of, of the human soul. All these things are in here. But it's still wrapped up in what appears to be just a slam-bang 80s action movie. Robocop has been compared um, often to movies like Frank, the original Frankenstein in 31, yeah. um, Blade Runner, uh, you know, even the Terminator, like for the, 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 some of the themes in it. Yeah. Um, aliens for the way like violence is handled and the way, you know, uh, you know corporations put themselves above certain things. Yeah. Uh, there's so many other movies that are, you know, critically acclaimed and stuff like that, that this movie has been compared to. Um, and part of what it was, um, you know, some people said, well, you know, you can see in here the, you know, the masculinity of a Western. And it's like, but it's not just that, you right. know, it's not just like the, the, the people, the way they said, well, the way they envisioned Detroit is similar to the way they envisioned Los Angeles and Blade Runner. Yeah. And things like that. They are all true. But it doesn't mean that that's all its parts. Um, it received some very glowing reviews. Yeah. It received some very harsh reviews. Yep. Um, there's no, I don't think there was any middle of the road. And I think that speaks a lot to Verhoeven being such a polarizing director. Yes. Um, and it's hard, though. When you start thinking, I mean, it winds up winning the Academy Award for Special Achievement of uh, Best Sound Editing. Yeah. Right? Best Sound Editing. Yeah. Which is, I mean, fine. But, like, that, this movie meant so much more in the effects right. world. Yeah. You know? Yeah, um, you know, those, those, those technical awards are always kind of a crapshoot with the Academy Awards, you know? Yeah. 
And and the sound is wonderful in this oh, film. Sure, There's yeah. some very memorable. Like I said, the, the sound of the Auto 9 firing is, is to me, an iconic sound. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure, they, they probably could have earned some other accolades from there. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, it wound up getting, you know, uh, you know, nom- I mean, nom- it recognized and nominated. And it's just the problem was you were going up against – you know, um, what was, what, 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 I don't remember what one, I think it was proving Roger Rabbit in 88, one yeah. or something like that. And it's like, it, it was different things you had, but like, you know, the, the, at the Saturn Awards, which is much more, you know, yeah, this more award, genre friendly. Right? I mean, they recognize Verhoeven's directing. They recognize yeah. the makeup by Botin, the special effects by Tippett and Kerr and, and Botin and all those. Like, I mean, they, they knew what yeah. they had in their hands. I mean, part of that also is that, you know, 1987, we have not, you know, there's always been this bias against genre films from the Academy. Yeah. Unless you make a boxing movie. Boxing movie pretty much guarantees you're going to win some awards. Um, but that was pretty evident. You know, to me, it was really Return of the King that kind of broke the seal on that oh a little God, bit. Yeah, where yeah, it's yeah. like they could not deny Return of the King Well, by that point. Okay. I, to me, I think Gladiator is... Yeah. Is, Gladiator's the one that allowed the movie to be successful yes at the box office and yet i mean don't i'm not saying gladiator is a b movie gladiator is an a picture right. for the money the movie yeah. whatever but gladiator kind of like started opening that door a little bit yeah and return of the king i think kicked it all the way in well you could i mean you can even argue that gladiator is a genre movie because it's it's a, it's a peplum essentially right it's yes. a sword and sandal movie it's not a lot of people say, oh, Gladiator is like a throwback to the biblical epics. It's no, not really. Not really. I mean, if, if you want to, I mean, if you squint and look at it sideways, you could call the Ten Commandments a peplum, but it's not. Yeah. Okay. So, but you could say, okay, Gladiator was a genre movie. So totally, it could, it could be in that, in that, you know, kind of in the same vein. But in it, by, by the same token, this is 23 years before that, or 13 years before yeah. that. So the, the genre movie is not going to necessarily get that recognition, so especially one that was, again, as polarizing as this film was. So really, if we want to talk about the reality of it, um, Silence of the Lambs yeah. being the horror movie that is not a horror movie, it's a thriller, it's, that, yeah. it's the whole thing. These movies don't. Get, these movies didn't start getting really recognized until there was kind of a shift. Yeah. And people started saying, well, look how good this is. Yeah. Right? This movie's not just, you know, a guy on a screen with a gun running around. Like, it doesn't have to be... I mean, and I'm not talking slasher movies and stuff like right. that. But movies that like had substance to them and they're like, they're pretty good. Yeah. And then they're like, yeah, but this movie's got really good effects in it. And they started, people started recognizing the effects. Right. I think that became more the issue. People started recognizing the effects. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this... I, Verhoeven, um, I mean, he, he had success, obviously, um, directing other movies, you know... Uh, the most controversial stuff, obviously, out there. You know, we, we, we talked about it. You know, it's so polarizing with there. Yeah. I mean, Total Recall is not a polarizing movie. No. Um, but, I mean, it's good. Oh, but it's, it, it's, Total but it's Recall not, is a it's, classic. It's, but it's not polarizing. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, like, you know, uh, the idea, though, is that um, you have to kind of be okay with who he is as a director, too. Yeah. And that, I think, hurt what hurt this movie somewhat too. Yeah. Oh, but the thing is, is that whatever it was, um, however it was received, it made money. Oh my God. Okay. And nothing in, in perfectly ironic fashion, 
Nothing succeeds like success, right? Yeah. And so the film made money. So it's like, well, then we got to make a sequel. Yeah. We've got to make a comic. We've got to make a cartoon series. We've got to make a toy line. And so RoboCop became a product. Yeah. So and, and isn't that isn't that just the perfect way for that to go? Isn't it? So I want you to think about this because some of you are thinking like some of you are young, much younger than us, and, and don't remember these things. Like there was a toy line for Rambo. Yes. Right? Because there was a Rambo a car animated series. Yeah, Rambo and the Force of Freedom. Right. And so people are like, they made, they made toys of Rambo? Yeah. They made toys of RoboCop. Mm-hmm. And the Ed 2... Well, it's not the Ed 209. It's like the Ed 229. Yeah, it's, it's like whatever. It's the upgraded yeah, it's version. the upgraded version, right? Is one of the best toys I own in my entire... I, I'm like, I, have a, I have a RoboCop original. Yeah. And I have an Ed 229. They one of my favorite toys oh, ever. Oh, yeah. And they made RoboCop toys. Yeah. And they made... Punks and the whatever. Yeah, they they made RoboCop and some other police officers. Yeah. Like they made Lewis and a few yeah. others, and then they made a bunch of punks, and then they made uh, and the 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 and the Ed two twenty nine or whatever it was, and they had some vehicles and stuff too. And the gimmick on that one was all caps. It was yeah. all roll caps. Roll caps. You put them in your back, and you actually fired yeah. roll caps out of their back. Which which is insane nowadays to think about. Yeah, that. it's a toy and line, right? Two, he had, well, two twenty nine. Whatever his guns on his arms yeah. opened up, and you it, put the caps, caps inside in of them. Oh, right, man. and so it's toys. It's marketed. Yeah, it's it's a cartoon. Yeah, it's there a TV was series. there was a Marvel a short lived Marvel cartoon. Yeah, um, there was. I said Marvel did a comic. The Marvel comic actually is quite good. There's it's very funny. There's a lot of folks, a lot of British creators worked on that. Guys that had worked on. 2000 AD. Oh my god. So that yeah. seems like the perfect match, oh right? God, a yeah. dystopian police yeah. force thing. Yeah. 2000 AD, those you might remember, we covered hardware on the show years ago. Oh yeah. yeah. Which is based off of something out of 2000 AD. Yeah. So, so yeah, but but and then of course they made they made two sequels, they made a TV series, they made a series of TV films, there was a re a reboot. Yes. There's talk now of a sequel to the original. They're gonna do like a uh, like a Godzilla 85 situation where they ignore all the ones in the middle and just do a sequel to the original. The, the character has endured. And part of that is the look. The look is classic. Money. Money. Love the look. So money. But part of that, I think, is the fact that it does ask questions. It's not just a slam-bang action movie. Yeah. There is the question of this. This is, a, you know, we, we've talked about it here. This is Murphy. He's a person. He's not a machine. It's, you talked about the Terminator. I liken this a little bit to Terminator 2. Yes. You know, the themes in Terminator 2, can a machine feel? And can a, a human make themselves into a machine? The, 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 the heroes in Terminator 2, okay? The T-800 has to learn to feel and love, right? Yeah. Sarah Connor is taking herself and turning herself into a weapon. And shutting off human connections and making herself cold and machine-like. And the difference is, James Cameron directed that. It yeah. was beloved. Yes. So that movie, that people were like, well, we'll give it all this. I mean, don't give, I love well, Terminator 2. I'm not no saying question. That, but I'm saying, but because it's James Cameron, it got That's, it got love from other parts of the world. Yeah. Or other parts of the community, I should say, that yeah. maybe Paul Verhoeven is looked down upon. Yes. And that's a shame because... Just because you might have made a different movie that Pelman didn't like doesn't mean you shouldn't like this one. Yeah. If you don't like Showgirls, which is fine. Some people hate Showgirls. Some people hate Showgirls. Right? It, that's fine. But Verhoeven has also made movies that push things differently. Yeah. So, so like I said, to me, I mean, 
In, in case, I mean, if you haven't really been paying attention, I don't know why you're listening this long. And I love this movie. Yeah. I love this movie unash- un- unironically, unashamedly. Yeah. Uh, this was, I think, the third DVD I ever bought was the Criterion edition of RoboCop. Mm-hmm. Um, I got it. I was, I was a, whew, I was a junior at Clemson, I guess. I had gotten a DVD player over the summer, just back in the 90s. So, yeah. uh, the DVD players were a little hard to come. I bought it off eBay, of all places. And then I got this from Amazon, I think. Um, and it's, uh, I, I, I remember getting the box, but it was this and a few other DVDs. And I got that Criterion Robocop, threw it in, just sat in my dorm room, was blown away. It was yeah. so so amazing and still holds up and i said that was you know 20 years ago and watching it now still blows you away every time so the nice part about this is that robocop's very well it's very available the blu-ray is more than reasonable um and the regular and the regular blu-ray of this is the full uncut i don't think you can buy actually cut anymore right not unless you unless you go purposely go find not unless you unless you get a vintage copy yeah Yeah. Um, and good luck finding a vhs of it yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) which is funny because they were everywhere back in the 80s but well but the vhs just sold through vhs at 89.95 yeah it was a rental it was a rental yeah and it didn't sell through until eventually later on and because it just got so popular right um but if you've never seen robocop folks and and you're like well i guess i'll give it a swirl after this uh, i i just please go in think like you know if you go in thinking like ah it's going to suck like th- that's the wrong attitude go into it open yeah um we i talk about movies not needing to change your life i keep talking about that don't change it doesn't mean we can change your life yeah. like is is you know is necessarily like i don't know uh you know the monolith monster is going to change your life probably not mm. this movie actually did do a lot of changing uh, and, and, and growth for how I look at film, mm-hmm. how my brother looks at film um, from a young age. And you might think, well, you were too young to see this. Okay, you can debate that all you want, yeah, folks. And that's, that's fine. That's, that's reasonable. But the fact is, is we did see it. Yeah. So that's undisputable. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, kind of thing. And, and it, it helped me kind of understand that not every film is, you know, smiles up one side and daisies down the other. And yet it still can be powerful and it still can be a happy ending. Yeah. But is it truly a happy ending in this sense? I'm happy that Murphy, you know, has thwarted now the villains, but there's the realities that go along now with his life. Um, And it means more. This movie means more to me now today than it did in 1987 because now I'm a dad and I've gone through traumas and I've gone through whatever. And it, it, it shows you in life. That like okay like it's a movie I go back to yeah um it's I mean I'm very honest um, my daughter has watched a lot of stuff with me but she's seen she's I think she's seen most of RoboCop I think we caught it one day yeah um she didn't understand any of the deep meanings no. and stuff like that and I she shouldn't no as a little kid she no. shouldn't um you know but I think when she's older and watches it she'll understand more of it because she has you know she has lived through again we've all lived through some certain traumas and stuff like that and yeah and in our and my and our family's my my family's life different traumas have occurred there too which you know you can draw upon to kind of take you away from there if you just want to go watch a mindless you know whatever thing i don't think this is a movie for you no i i think that if you go into the with that mindset that oh yeah it's awesome man you know that you're gonna I just not know that you're gonna really appreciate some of the yeah. stuff that it's doing. Yeah. Let's leave it at that. And I'm and I'm not, we're not trying to sound like we're elitist or anything no. else because truly, if you've ever listened to either one of us talk, this is not the way we talk about. You know, we talk about certain films with reverence and respect. 
um, because they deserve the reverence and respect they get. And some films are, you know, popcorn movies, some and they're films, fun yeah. to go to. And, and and this one works on that level it too. Does. I, I mean, we were watching. I mean, this. I, I wouldn't call it a popcorn no, movie, but yeah, but, but yeah. But I mean, you know. we. But you and I have seen this movie so many oh times. God. It's yeah. a comfort food yeah. too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's 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 traumatic as hell, yeah. but it's a comfort food at the same yeah. time. I look at it in the same way that like. Um, when when people first see, I mean, whatever it might be. I mean, when I first saw Gladiator, it ripped my heart out of my chest. Yeah. And I've seen Gladiator so many times, and I still cry during Gladiator. Mm-hmm. I still cry at the end of Gladiator. Why? Because the movie speaks to me on a yep. different level. It speaks to me on a level as a dad, mm-hmm. as you know, as a you know, uh, just as a human, as a whatever. You yep. know, got different things. And this movie does the same thing. This yep. again, this is in my. I mean, it's 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 one of the best science fiction movies I've ever seen. Yeah. It's one of the best movies by way of just special effects I've ever oh, seen. Yeah. Yeah. And that I can, you can respect those things and you can respect movies in different ways and love them in different ways. And this is a movie that I feel, and I, and I know Luke feels, and if dad was here, he would say the exact same yeah. thing. Yeah. This is not a, this isn't a joke. No, it's, this is, this is a movie you go into and you say, okay, this is a movie I'm going to, uh, and I'm not saying you can't enjoy it, No, but you have to pay attention. Yeah. I, I think if you, again, it's, if, I think if you just go in with a, again, being a, a casual viewer or whatever, I'm not sure that it's going to necessarily have that impact. Yeah. And I hate for that a movie that means a lot to me to not have an impact for yeah. someone. Because I want I want people to appreciate it in the same way I do. Yeah. Know? So, all right, folks. I want to thank my brother for being on with me again here. Um, you know, it's it's always a pleasure to record with Luke. Um, it gets hard, you know, because. Life gets in the way, oh, um, yes. you know, kind of thing. So, Luke, why don't you tell people where they can hear you on the internet? Sure thing. And uh, first of all, thank you very much for having me on to discuss one of my my favorite films. I know, twist my arm, Luke. We're going to talk RoboCop. But uh, <laughs> so, if you've enjoyed listening to me pontificate about this film, uh, you can go check me out on my main podcast, which is Earth Destruction Directive, which is a Daikaiju podcast covering all aspects of Japanese giant monsters. Anywhere you find Bots, Bugs, and Babes, you can also find Earth Destruction Directive. And like Bots, Bugs, and Babes, Earth Destruction Directive is an all-ages appropriate family-friendly show. So if you're listening in the car during carpool, no concerns for content. Uh, I also am one of the co-hosts on The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, where we cover horror films and horror media across a wide variety of uh, of eras and styles. Uh, I co-host that show with my brother, of course, along with Two True Freaks OG Chris Honeywell and the hair metal hero Chris Tyler. And uh, I am also one of the hosts on Get Back to the Wrestling. Finally, there's a podcast on the internet about professional wrestling. And that covers, again, uh, you know, just whatever kind of tickles our fancy in the world of uh, the squared circle of professional wrestling. And that is, uh, of course, hosted with my brother and the hair metal hero Chris Tyler. Now, those two shows, The Vault, and get back to the wrestling. A little bit of salty language on there, usually from Jay. I'm not going to lie, uh, but uh, so just be aware of that if you're interested in checking those out. I would really appreciate if any of those sound interesting that you go check them out. So thank you very much. Yeah. So like I said, folks, I love that having my brother on. I love talking movies that he's passionate about. And I there's probably no. I mean, I mean, there's probably no movie more that we both are more passionate about together. The movie yeah. we both love. You know. Again, in our own ways, uh, but very much similar ways, yeah. is RoboCop. And I knew there was no one else I needed to have on for RoboCop besides Luke. Oh, so yeah. I want to thank Luke for being here. Um, I know usually I tell you what's happening next month, folks. We have got things got messed around and messed, you know, I mean, I, I was thankful that Luke was able to do Amityville 4 with me um, when we had your you know, interruption of the dark room so we could yeah. do a special TV presentation. 
the issue becoming right now, I'm just trying to get things laid out. So I apologize in advance that I can't tell you what April's episode is going to be, but what, or not April, excuse me, the next episode, the next, next episode, this is April's episode. Yeah. What's going to happen there? Because original timing, I was, you know, it was, it was it's, it's logistics of podcast. Yep. It's, you know what? Sting said it best. And I know there's some people out there are going to be triggered that we're talking professional wrestling. But Sting said it best. The only thing that's for sure is that nothing's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing I can guarantee you is whatever movie we're doing, whatever movie I'm and, and whoever might be with me, because it might be Dad, it might be somebody else, it might be Luke again. Yeah. I don't think so, but we, might, but we don't know. That's the problem. Yeah, I'm trying day. to rearrange this year because things got out of hand because of scheduling. And for those of you that, under, that know what is going on in my life, yeah. things kind of got... Uh, changed around a lot. The last six to eight months has been in a lot of change occurring. Yeah. Um, thankfully, hopefully, for all the good, knock on wood, right? You know, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the decision to become a professional bull rider at your age. Yes, it is very. It was, it was a bold choice. I'm just going to leave it at that. It's a bold choice. Yeah. Are these bold? <laughs> It's um, so bold, we don't recommend it for human consumption. I yeah, mean, so anyway, folks, so like I said, we'll, we'll come at you next, but I guarantee you it's going to be something you're going to love. Um, so like we say around here, folks, keep those cards and letters coming and keep watching the skies. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which up until a few days ago was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters? Or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. This has been an episode of Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. If you'd like to contact me, please email the show at botsbugsbabes at gmail.com. If you'd like to find me online, I'm on Facebook under my name, Jason Jacknetti. I often contribute to the Two True Freaks Facebook group. You can visit my Facebook page, The Art of Horror Collective, and you can search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective. On Instagram, find me under my name, Jason Jacknetti. And search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective, as well as the new hashtag, Bots, Bugs, Babes Podcast. I'm the only one using them. I'm also on Twitter, at Jason Giaconetti. And you can visit my webpage at www.theartofhorrorcollective.wordpress.com. 
All movies, characters, stories, music, etc. are properties of their respective holders. This is a fan work, and any use of any property is purely for review, discussion, and entertainment. So don't sue me. I ain't got anything anyway. There is no tomorrow! There is no tomorrow! There is no tomorrow! Will you stop?